ask the tough questions whilst you know keeping it balanced. What do you think, Nick? Did you just, I, I think you just stole Fox News's tagline. Is what I think. I mean, all, all they all they stole mine. By the way, um, uh, <laughs> or they stole yours. Uh, Nick, you could see the request, so you could bring up whoever you like. And Nick is running the the okay. first segment uh, of the show. Everyone. And I've sent all the invites. Just, uh, texted me right now and said uh, that she will be on shortly. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and just make sure she uses her phone, not laptop. Some people make sure you always tell them because they use their, gotcha. their laptop to join. So, so, Mario, while we wait, give us, give us a little bit of a rundown. Like, what have you done in New York? You know, who have you met besides me? You came in all jet lagged. I didn't notice, so you did a good job playing it off. But, you know, it was a. Uh... There's a little bit of a time difference, and uh, you know, so I couldn't. I would be jet lagged, which is my opinion, but you handled it well. So, okay, man, like you're taking small talk to another level. I- I've been to New York a lot, no, man. I've been, I've been, Mario, I've been to New York. Mario, you seem like you're quite crap at small talk. Looking at this, you've uh, <laughs> now. I was, I was messaging that. Look, man, we sit there talking shit. There's, there's a lot of work that goes on in the background to make these shows happen. So, uh. I'm just talking no, to the team. Exactly what's that got with you being? What's that got to do with you being crap at small talk? Look, bro, let me run the show while you wait for the speakers to come on. For everyone just joined, um, so obviously we have Carrie Lake joining the show today. And uh, Nick, do you want to give minutes. us a quick introduction while the audience joins? We get the numbers up. Sure, sure. I'll give a little bit of an update here or a, a little bit of a synopsis of the conversation as well as who Carrie Lake is. Carrie Lake ran for, uh, she was a gubernatorial candidate for uh, Arizona back in 2022, in November 2022. Uh, she was running against Carrie Hobbs, which happened to be the Secretary of State of Arizona at the time. Uh, Katie Hobbs is now the governor of Arizona. Uh, there's some there's ongoing litigation. Uh, there's some challenges to the election results. It seems like there were uh, definitely some uh, some issues when it came to the election on election day, as well as the days following election day. There wasn't a lot of transparency when it came to the government uh, and the Secretary of State's office in Arizona. So that has caused a plethora of issues. It really hurt the trust in the election system in Arizona as well as across the United States. And so one of the things that we'll talk about with Carrie today is how we restore that confidence in the election system, especially before 2024, because that's a big year. This is one of the top issues that people have in mind, uh, especially people on the right. They're worried that their votes aren't going to count or that they're going to be changed. So I and, and Carrie is kind of on the front lines when it comes to this debate, when it comes to these legal challenges and such. So I think she'll have a really good, uh, a really interesting take on this. I think, Suleiman, you have a little bit, uh, you've done a lot of research on this. You've probably done more on it than I have. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to hear your opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, Mario knows my opinion. So I... Uh, hold on, before you share your opinion, maybe Nick, we could while waiting for Carrie to join, we could bring up a few speakers and then bring them down when Carrie joins. Abe is here, sure, but we could, if you want, if you want Nick, we could just have a discussion. You could bring up whoever you like, and then we rotate the panel when Carrie joins. So actually, you know, because Carrie Lake's about two minutes out here, so oh, okay, we'll, uh, Sorry, we'll, not, we'll, not much we'll time. Wait on that. But 
Right, so Slayman, can you? Oh, Abe, yeah. Slayman, not your opinion. Can wait after Abe now. <laughs> Abe, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. That's right, Nick. I'll let you do the introduction. Yeah. So Abe, um, you know, I want to know you were you were pretty deeply involved with the 2022 elections, obviously, and you know, I I, I think the I think it would be good if you could kind of just give a a brief summary of who you are, what you do to the audience here, because I believe this is your first time on stage. So, and we do appreciate you coming. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I was a late comer to the 2022 election. So I jumped in the race back in November of 2021. Uh, I'm a former prosecutor. I'm also a army reserve intelligence officer. So I had just got back from my deployment overseas uh, to the Middle East and I got back to America and in many ways, I no longer recognized our country. And I think so many of us feel that way right now. And I decided to say, you know, this is our generation's fight. I, I, I started running for office at the age of 30. Um, and I think people were just shocked at how well we did. And we uh, beat five other primary opponents. It was a competitive primary. And, uh, you know, just the America First message resonates is people want people know what time it is right now. It's time for courage. It's time to fight back. And you know, certainly I'm still doing that even post-election with our lawsuit. So, you know, going to the lawsuit with the election, we, we, this is the closest race in Arizona history. So uh, we're at a deficit of 280 votes out of 2.5 million, supposedly. But there's still 8,000-plus uncounted ballots, and that's exactly what our, our lawsuit is fighting for. So, so just, to, just to be clear, Abe, uh, you ran for attorney general of Arizona for people in our audience that, that don't know that. Uh, it's a very important office that could actually – make a huge difference in these election suits. And you did mention the fact that, you know, I'll, I'll just read it out for the audience here. It was 1,254,809 to 1,254,529. That is this razor thin margin. Both candidates got 49.9% of the vote. So, and that is an incredible number and that uh, incredibly close number anyway, a very thin margin which I think, do you think that that was something that, I mean, is this something that has made people have less confidence in, in the legitimacy of this because it was so close? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the day of issues, and I'm sure Carrie will talk about that when she's on, but I mean, the printers went down on, a, on the election day, and that's where 70% of the people who vote on election day were Republicans. So it obviously affected my race, but I don't think it affected it enough. And I still believe our lawsuit, we're going to prove that the 8,000 uncounted ballots, they're all day of votes, and our data team has gone through it. If they were to count all 8,000 of them, we would win by about two, two to 3,000. So uh, it's definitely interesting what's going on, but I'm fighting this to restore confidence in our elections, which so many people have already seen it as corrupted. And right now, I hope that we still have a legal system intact. And I think if we're able to prevail, it'll give a, it'll get a, it'll give hope to the, the legal system, but also to future elections because there are you know consequences for what they've done. There's accountability. That's why I'm fighting so hard. You're right. Attorney generals are very important in today's age. I mean, look at you know, district attorneys, George Soros had this really dialed in 10 years ago, right, when he invested so much money in these prosecutor races, because he knew, he knew the return on the investment is significant. And, you know, ultimately, what good is the law if you don't, if you're not following it? So you just need to get the prosecutors in there to, to determine what the law is and determine what to, to follow. So that's why I'm fighting, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure other AGs and other district attorneys also, you know, understand that we're at a very, 
you know, scary time in our country with the rule of law is undermined and being attacked on every single aspect. So this is why I'm still fighting this. In our so lawsuit. Abe, I mean, yeah. ac- according, to, I mean, as you said, you only lost by 200 votes, despite all the issues that you're referring to. Now, we know Carrie Lake's proceeding the litigation. We know you are. Uh, will the result of Carrie Lake's litigation have an impact on your race as well? It already has in many ways. So when the Supreme Court just the other month actually said that the uh, signature issues need to be relitigated uh, for Carrie's team because it was dismissed prematurely, um, in many ways that just proved to us with our lawsuit that we are able to do a new trial because that's what our lawsuit is a little bit different than when uh, the Carrie Lake's legal team. But it, it, that portion of the ruling basically says, hey, even after the election contest is over, which me and Carrie both had our election trials in December, you could still go back and relitigate it if there's information that comes to light or if there is a if there is an error by the original court. And that's what we're arguing in our case. So. Uh, we, we still have a, a few more weeks until we're in court on our side, but we feel pretty confident. Cool. By the way, yeah, right. Nick, so yeah, we, we got, we have... got, uh, yeah, we got Scott and Carrie. Carrie Lake is in the house. So Nick, I'll let you make the introductions. So Carrie, welcome to the stage. It's, it's a true pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time for us. Oh my um, gosh. I was actually happy at... to be here. Happy to be here. We're just uh, an event last we're leaving night. New York City and it's raining like crazy and we're we're trying to get on the road, so thank you for being patient. Yeah, oh, no Kerry, that's the reason I was late. I'm, I'm in New York for two days, and that's the reason I was late in running the space. Uh, there's this <laughs> pouring rain, so this traffic is killing me. Uh, but I think this is your this is your first time you come on a space. Is that correct? Uh, yes. I, I mean, I've been on Twitter spaces before, but not yours. I'm hearing from everybody that this is like the greatest Twitter space ever. So I'm excited and a tiny bit nervous. Ah, you shouldn't be nervous. My co-hosts will try their best to ask good questions. They're not the best at it, but uh, hopefully the questions. Will... <laughs> but Nick, Nick, thanks for organizing the space, man. I'll, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah. So, Kerry, I was actually in an event that you were speaking at last night um, uh, at the the New York Young Republicans Club, and listened into you. And I spoke with Caroline, so she's fantastic as well. So, Colton, everybody, your your team is is great. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I would like, you ran for. Uh, the to be the governor of Arizona back in 2022. And obviously, you have been on the forefront of the fight to, uh, you know, bring attention to election, uh, you know, integrity and election discrepancies that may have been found in your election, as well as the, uh, you know, Trump's election back in 2020. You have been a vocal person and I'd like for you to give the audience just a little bit of a, a summary of who you are and what you do and what your fight is. Well, thank you for, for bringing me on the show and, and allowing me some time to talk about our case and where we are right now. I never set out to be, uh, you know, the, the poster child for election integrity, but we are realizing this is the issue of our time. And this is not a Republican issue. This is not a MAGA issue. This is an American issue. And, you know, our founding fathers died for the right for us to choose our representation. We wanted to choose the people who represent us and not be subjects of the monarchy. And that's how our country was created. It is one of the most sacred rights we have. And what I'm finding, and as I do research and study and we're seeing evidence, we don't have fair elections. 
And you only see them in cases where you have a populist candidate, such as myself or a Donald Trump, where it's really obvious what's happening in our elections. And so, I, you know, here I am in the middle of uh, one of the greatest uh, election uh, lawsuits the country set out to do that. I really never even set out to get involved in politics. I just was working in the media for nearly 30 years, and I realized that the media had gone astray and ceased to become journalism in so many ways and had really turned into propaganda. And so I stepped away from that career. And the amazing people that I had covered for so many years in Arizona asked me to run for office. And so that's how I ended up in politics. But we you know, had not just a movement and have a movement. And the people, after what happened on November 8th in Arizona, asked me, please don't give up this fight. What happened to us on election day when they engineered a botched election, engineered a sabotaged election, the people of Arizona felt that they're victims of that crime and they have begged me and asked me to stay in the fight. And so here we are, we've got our election case moving forward. Uh, I, you know, I was hoping that we would get wins on every single count that we brought forth, but you know, that's just not how the system works. But thankfully we're still in the fight and we're waiting for a court date for uh, the lower court to take back up the signature verification aspect of our case, which is the part where you sign the uh, outside of a mail-in ballot, which is an affidavit saying that that is indeed your vote. And it's a legal document, believe it or not. And we are uh, waiting for the, the, case, the courts to take that up. And we're going to continue to fight. We're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court because this isn't just a problem in Arizona. We have terrible elections, poorly run elections, in many of the states and many of the counties. Um, Carrie, thanks for joining us. Um, I watched your interview with Pace Morgan, and obviously Pace Morgan was terrible as he normally is, but and he bombarded you with a lot of questions. Um, one of the questions that you were, didn't get a chance to answer was, and I thought was a good one, was that before you um, became a Republican or represented the Republican Party, you were a Republican, and then you became a Democrat, and then you became an Independent. So. There are maybe some people who are not completely convinced about, you know, your, your, your belief in the ideology of republicanism. So if you can give us your thoughts on that, that'd be brilliant. Well, I grew up with Ronald Reagan as my president as a youngster. And, and because of him, and I was uh, such an admirer of him, I became a Republican immediately when I turned 18. He inspired me to become a Republican. And I remained a Republican and, and still am a Republican. But during... Um, you know, the, the subsequent years as I got older and had children, I realized that the Republican Party had lost its way in many ways under people like George W. Bush, who started wars, who misled us into starting a war in Iraq. And I had two little babies. I had one baby on, on you know, either hip. And I was looking at the policy we had, especially our foreign policy of going into other countries, meddling and starting wars. And I was looking for somebody who would not start wars. And, you know, along came John McCain running for office. And I, after covering him for a couple of decades at the time, I realized that wasn't going to be the guy to end wars. As a matter of fact, I thought he was going to be the guy to start wars. And I think I was right. And I, I think most people listening tonight would think I was right about that. So I took a shot with somebody else. Didn't work out. But I think I'm like many Americans. We're not looking for necessarily someone with an R behind their name. We're looking for someone who loves this country. And that's why I was so inspired when President Trump and June of 2015 came down that escalator. I think he saved the Republican Party. I am a Trump Republican. I am a MAGA Republican. And MAGA stands for Make America Great Again. And that's what I think we need to do. We have to do that. We're about ready to lose our country. 
And so, um, you know, I, I think actually because I have been registered as other parties before, I can represent people. And that might be why the people of Arizona trusted me so much to run for office. And that might be why we got so many Democrats and independents to join our movement and join our cause and vote for me. Uh, Carrie, you know, before the election, you were asked on a number of interviews. And in those interviews, you, th- what you were asked was with whether you would accept the ex- election result and you were non-committal. Some may argue that that was almost a pre- preconceived decision by you, that you were going to contest any kind of election if it didn't go your way. What's your thoughts on that? Well, that's absurd. But I, I, I'm also a, a realist enough to know that I saw what happened in 2020 when they when they rigged an election against President Trump and tried to convince us that uh, a guy who hid in his basement, who couldn't string you know a sentence together, who didn't have any coherent thoughts, um, won 81 million votes. And I think we're all smart enough, even if if we voted for the guy, some of you might out there might have voted for him to realize Joe Biden's not the most popular president in the history of our country. That doesn't make any sense. And so I know after covering the 2020 election and doing my research as a journalist that we never made all of the necessary changes to shore up our elections so that we would have fair elections. And I could see some of the cheating still going on. And it happened even in um, even in, you know, the primary. But they were pretty sure I think that I think the media knew that cheating was going to happen and they wanted to try to pin that on me that I would never accept the results I'll tell you what had we pulled out the win and had they not been able to cheat enough to take the win away from us the first line of business for me was going to be to pull the legislature together and reform our elections so that every Arizonan whether they be the most liberal Democrat or the most conservative Republican would know that when they voted, their one legal vote counted and that they could go to bed on election night and know that whatever the outcome was, it was 100% fair, even if their guy didn't win. And we don't have that right now. Unfortunately, if you look at the polling data, we have 79% of Republicans who think our elections are a complete joke. We have 51% of independents who think we have not just poorly run elections, but fraudulent elections. And 29% of Democrats say our elections are not run um, honestly. This is a problem, guys. I don't care what your, what your political affiliation is. It's a problem. And if we don't come together as Americans and say, at the bare minimum, we want honest elections, then I fear we're not going to have a country much longer. So, Kerry, let me ask you a question real quick, if you don't mind, because this is going to be a huge problem. We were talking about this in the beginning of the space. For 2024, obviously, you have a presidential election there, uh, extremely important. How do we restore uh, faith in the U.S. election system? Nick, yeah, able- let me, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask, can I, can I add on to your question, Nick, when you finish it? Because that's, that's the question that, that I've been meaning to ask as well, and I've been asking it all day today in my meetings. I'll let you finish sure, it off and I'll add to it. Well, add on to that. I mean, Yeah, so, so Kerry, just add to Nick's question, like my... How can a democracy function with an electoral system? I'm not going to talk whether it's corrupt or not and get into the details. Even if it's perfect, loss of trust in the electoral system, it's a very concerning time to be living for a democracy to function. So, yeah, Nick's, Nick's question for me is, matters the most. Like, How can that trust uh, be reinstated? Uh, you know, I agree. We have to have trust in our elections, and we don't have that right now. And I think uh, there's a, there's several ways we can do it. 
but we have to come together as a country and say we have to have this. We have to have reform. And for starters, you know, 27 days of voting in Arizona, that that's where you open up a lot of fraud. When the longer you vote, the longer you pull out and stretch out election day and turn it into election month, the more opportunity for fraud there is. Likewise, the longer you count ballots, 13, 14 days, the more opportunity there is for fraud and to inject um, fraudulent ballots. I think we need to go back, actually go back and make it much more simple the way we used to do it, which is election day, paper ballots, photo ID, and we count on election day. And some people go, wait a minute, how, how on earth? We can't, we can't count on election day. There's no way we can do that. It would take too long to count all the ballots by hand, which I kind of laugh and say, are you kidding? You mean it would take too long? They're counting for 13 days right now in Arizona. That's a little bit too long if you ask me. And here's how you do it. And this is how COVID messed with our elections so much. And you could say that it, it may have been by design. You know, where did we used to vote? And I don't know how old the people on this um, Twitter space is, but I've been voting for a long time. I'm 53. We used to vote in the little neighborhood church or the neighborhood school near our home in small precincts. And when COVID struck, they, they did two things. They, they tried to send out mail-in ballots to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, even people who didn't want them, people who hadn't even lived in Arizona before, for years, got ballots. They mailed them to every single place they could possibly mail them. And then they shut down our churches and schools, and we had to vote in massive voting centers, and they opened it up for 27 days to vote. And the way you do it is you go back to the small precincts. You get five or seven, five or 800 maximum voters per precinct. When the polls close, they work to count them. And they have teams of people counting them, two or three people from different parties counting them. And you have the results. Uh, within a couple of hours, they send those results into the main headquarters, the county. They tabulate them all. They add up all the precincts election results. And you have the results right there on that night. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, what if you get some, you know, um, dishonest people at Precinct 300 and they, you know, rigged the count? Well, wouldn't you, you know, that could happen. You're right. That could happen. But if you get one precinct with somebody dishonest who messes with the count of 500 ballots, that's a lot better than having somebody who's working down at the Maricopa County who messes with the count of more than 2 million voters and ballots, which is what we have right now in Maricopa County. We've got to root out these corrupt individuals like the people running Maricopa County who were in charge of our election and our ballot while simultaneously running a super PAC, raising tens of thousands of dollars being spent to try to prevent me from winning. This is a fact. They were doing that while they ran the ballot, while they ran the elections, while I was on the ballot. That's unethical, and we shouldn't allow that kind of thing. Carrie, we are, so I think we just, as Americans, have to get serious about uh, it. Carrie, we are going to go into detail about the, the the legal case. But more specifically, I mean, what you're talking about, I completely agree with. Like, you need a, uh, you need a scenario where both sides can trust the election. But more specifically, a major issue in, your, in the case of your election was Katie Hobbs was the Secretary of State and she was overseeing the election. How much of a major issue is that? And in addition to that, the fact that she was unwilling to debate you, do you think those things are connected? Well, I don't think it gives, um, I don't think it gives the people of Arizona much confidence in, in her as the, uh, in my opinion, um, fraudulent squatter governor. Um, she didn't have the courage to step before the people of Arizona and debate me and, and you know, she said, oh, she's an election denier, I'm not gonna debate her. Well, if that's what she thinks of me, then 
then step up on a debate stage and call me out. Call me out. I'm happy to respond and, and reply to that. I'm not a professional debater. I never took a debate course in my life. I, I was shy in high school. I never took a single debate class. I'm just an, an Arizonan who loves the people of my state. And I would never, I would never refuse to take uh, to the debate stage because that to me is a job interview. The people are hiring you to represent them. And if you're afraid to show up at the job interview, you shouldn't get the job. And I don't believe she got the job. I think she lost by uh, huge, huge numbers. I believe that she wakes up every morning and looks in the mirror and a fraud is looking back at her and she knows she cheated. And uh, it's unfortunate that she did not recuse herself from being the secretary of state and being in charge of the state, overseeing the state elections. Um, but she didn't have the you know, character. She didn't have the ethics to do such. And that should say a lot. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, the woman is a twice convicted racist who cost the people of Arizona nearly $3 million because of her sexist and racist hiring policies. Um, you know, as a state legislator, she introduced sex education for kindergartners. I mean, this is a woman who the people of Arizona have re repel her. And the only way she could get into the governor's office was to cheat. And that's a fact. Uh, Carrie, you know, in terms of we go to election day, you already were voicing concerns about the election, uh, you know, the integrity of the election. And then you have a significant issue in terms of the printer machines not working. A lot of machines, sorry, a lot of the machines not working. And it, and uh, Abby, uh, Abe told us that it was 70% Republican. Now, do you, does that, is that another indicator of if somebody's already highlighting an issue and then the issue still happens, does that not, I mean, do you think that gives a great example of why you can't trust the result? Well, we did a lot leading up to the election to try to prevent fraud. We knew kind of some of the things they did in 2020 and we, we had extra uh, observers, lawyers. We had extra court, uh, uh, election day um, workers and staff people that were ready to keep an eye out for any problems. And that's one of the reasons that we had all the video that we had and we were able to grab people and get, get their sworn um, declarations out to what went wrong because we had so many people in place looking out for fraud. But I would have never suspected the kind of diabolical moves that these people made they realized that they couldn't cheat in, in some of the other ways that they cheated before. So they had to do something as diabolical as intentionally printing the wrong image on the ballot on election day only. They had a 20 inch piece of paper, ballot paper, and they printed a 19 inch ballot uh, rather than a 20 inch image on that ballot. And that's just a slight enough change that the voter would never detect that there was a problem. But you know what did detect a problem? The tabulator machines. And that's why a quarter of a million ballots were spit out on election day when they knew that 75% of the people showing up to vote were voting for Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday. And um, you know that was intentional. They knew they, they, they had a terrible candidate in Katie Hobbs, a lackluster candidate, a low IQ candidate, and they knew they couldn't win with their ideas and their policies because their ideas are dead end. Their ideas are destructive. And so the only way they can win these days is to cheat in elections. And it's going to get worse. I'm here in New York City, and I, I expected to be met with hostility. I have been met with just absolute graciousness and support. People who are Democrat are stopping me in the hotel lobby, on the street, even in this rain, saying, oh, my gosh, I support you. Thank you for what you're doing. 
the Democrats are tired of what this dead end policy, this dead end leftist policy is doing to their cities and their communities. And they don't care if you have an R behind your name. What they want are solutions. And I hate to tell them this until we secure elections and reform our elections, we're going to see people like Lori Lightfoot in Chicago who destroyed that city. And then the new mayor who's even doing even worse than she did. Mayor Adams here in New York, destroying New York City, de Blasio type folks destroying your cities. If you don't get smart and say, we have to have election reform, because I don't even believe that the people in New York want this kind of madness. They don't want this kind of uh, chaos on the streets. Donish. Hi, Carrie. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, one of the questions that comes to my mind is around looking forward at what's happening with the Republican Party and what we can expect for 2024. Uh, you know, we already know that the Democratic Party is likely not going to do debates. They're not going to have a primary. It's going to go all the way. Uh, but the Republican Party, you know, I, I saw your commentary. You had said uh, that the primary is over when the poll results came back for Donald Trump and that he had a commanding lead over Ron DeSantis and that we should be rallying around Donald Trump and that, you know, uh, that the Republican Party should focus its energy on exposing Joe Biden and registering voters and, and doing the things that the Republican Party would need to, to win in 2024. But isn't that potentially just as bad as what the Democrats could be doing? Should we not have a free and open primary where every candidate speaks? And should we not ask Donald Trump to be up on stage? Uh, Carrie, you're, you're muted. Just got to unmute bottom left. Oh, corner. sorry, guys. Um, oh, good, thank good. you for that question. What's your name? I missed the oh, speaker Donish. on that one. Donish, thank you for that question. And I'm glad, I really am actually glad to have um, an opportunity to explain this because it's hard to explain things in tweets. Um, you know, had 2020 not happened, that would not be my take. But 2020 happened and our election was fraudulent and it was it was stolen from President Trump. And that's why I believe that the Republican Party, this is the Trump Republican Party. Uh, his ideas, his America First ideas have transformed America in four short years, even though unfortunately COVID came along and kind of everything came to a screeching halt. Had that election been a fair election, I would obviously be saying, hey, let's have, a, let's, um, have an open primary here, obviously. But it was taken from the people. The people voted for President Trump in overwhelming numbers. And that's why I believe this is this is his um, election. This is his. Uh, he should be the nominee, and I don't think we should muck it up with um, uh, you know somebody like Ron DeSantis. I think Ron DeSantis is a fantastic governor. He's been an effective governor, and the people of Florida just voted him in. And I'm, I'm assuming that the people of Florida who voted him in were hoping that he would stick around and actually govern that state. And it it does bother me that he would be willing to um, run against President Trump, a, a man who helped him become governor of Florida and um, actually helped, I think President Trump helped save Florida by endorsing Ron DeSantis because as he was, many people may not realize this, he was running against a guy who was on the verge of winning who now we find out is a, you know, a drug addict pervert in many ways. And thank goodness he is not leading Florida. Thank goodness that they do have DeSantis there. So if 2020 hadn't happened, that would not be my stance. But 2020 happened, 
and that was stolen from President Trump. And I believe the people of America, the Republicans in America want Trump. So, Carrie, let me ask you real quick, because, you know, obviously you're not you're not leaving the game. It does seem like you are really passionate about the things that you are doing right now uh, in terms of uh, pushing election integrity. What is next for you? What sort of plans do you have for the future? Well, I, right now I am I am firmly uh, in hyper focus on my on my court case. And anybody who tells you anything different doesn't know me. I plan to win. My court case is exceptional. We have incredible lawyers who are patriots and are willing to fight at the great risk to themselves personally. And if we have a fair judicial a judiciary, I believe that we will win. The question is, do we have a fair justice system? Uh, is the judiciary fair? I don't know that it is. And so um, we're going to take this through through the Arizona court system. And right now, as I said, we're waiting for a court date to take up one portion of our case. And we're also working to bring it to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, I believe that the justices on the United States Supreme Court would like to have another opportunity to have an election case. They realize that what's happening in our elections is um, dangerous to the survival of our country. And I think they want one. And I think our case might be just the perfect case for that. So we'll take this all the way to the United States Supreme Court. But obviously, that, that could take some time. And we do have a Senate seat that is open. It's, it would be a three-way race. Um, I've seen many polls that show that the people of Arizona um, would like for me to jump into that. I'm a citizen politician. I never planned to be in politics for long, but I can't stand the fact that people were able to steal this election from us and try to stop our movement. And I won't let them. I won't let these corrupt individuals stop our movement. So if we so, don't get the result we want in the ju judiciary, I am seriously considering a run for the United States Senate to stop uh, Kirsten Cinema and Ruben Gallego. So I want to bring in Scott Pressler here, uh, who on the stage, for people that don't know, is the persistence. And Scott is really working hard toward, uh, toward bringing some change to the election systems so all around the country. I believe you spent a lot of time on the ground in Wisconsin recently. Um, and, and so I want to bring you in on this. I want your overall thoughts on the efforts that Carrie Lake has, uh, as well as what you're doing to uh, sort of work with her on that. So, Scott. Thank you. Well, I think Arizona was important and for people recognizing that we must be fighting towards election integrity, of course, but we must also understand the fight that is at hand and the shenanigans that happened in 2022 mean that we have to contemplate changing how we look at voting in elections going into 2023 and beyond. And what I mean by that is, you know, I put out a tweet the other day that I believe uh, Joe Biden right now, without seeing a viable plan from our national par party structure, uh, is on his way to re-election. And that's of the mindset that if Republicans are going to choose to only vote on one day, election day in 2024, I think there's a very real possibility that what happened to Abe Hamaday and to Blake Masters and to Carrie Lake, I believe that could happen on a nationwide scale going into 2024.
And if that were to happen, then it would be disastrous for all of our Republican candidates. And so what I'm advocating, and I'm speaking only behalf of me, Scott Pressler, nobody else on stage, I will let them uh, speak for themselves. And of course, I'm happy to work with any and all in making sure that we are making Joe Biden a one-term president in 2024. But here's my approach going forward. I am on the understanding that if we're going to win and be competitive, we need to have an all of the above approach to voting. Yes, that does mean election day voting, but that also means mail-in voting and early in-person voting and absentee voting and where legal, like I was just in the state of Oregon, that means using the legal and lawful tools of ballot collection and ballot harvesting to our advantage in order to win. And I believe that if, again, 70% of Republicans, the majority of us vote on one day, there's a very strong likelihood that what happened in the great state 48 will happen again and we will lose the election. Um, Carrie, um, just going back to the case. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'd love, I'd love to comment just a bit. And first of all, yes, um, yeah. we have a real hero uh, with Scott in uh, our presence right now. He's done so much. One man, it shows you how much one individual can do. Scott does not have, um, he doesn't have a corporation behind him. He doesn't have an NGO behind him. This is one man on a mission. And I, I, I've met Scott on a couple of occasions. I truly love that man. He is like a brother to me because of what he's doing. He cares so much about our country. And I agree with him on almost everything he said there. I will say that in the past election, um, despite what the media has reported, they, they were telling people that I said, you got to vote election day. I, my message was vote however you're comfortable voting. If you're comfortable voting early, if you're comfortable with the mail-in ballot, if you're comfortable election day, but just vote, please. But I, I fear that even if we do everything right in the way that Scott just described it, we don't have corrupt people. We're, we, we're pretty good people on our side. We don't have the NGOs, the nonprofits set up like the other side has. And I don't know if there's enough time or enough corruption on our side of people willing to, to be corrupt and do that. They have corruption pushing. That, that's the engine behind their machine in so many ways. When you see how they traffic ballots, how they um, you know, use the drop boxes, I, I can't with, good, with good, a good heart ask Republicans to do anything illegal um, nor would I want that. And that's why I'm pushing for reform. And I think we've got some time here with our case to really get behind it and start pressuring and speaking out about election integrity. A, a big part of it is speaking out and, and telling people when they say, don't talk about elections. This is, this is wrong. You should never talk about election integrity and all of that. No, it's not taboo. It's our job as, and our duty as citizens of America when we see corruption in our government, that we speak out. And I think we have to get really busy speaking out and getting very loud about it. Um, Carrie, um, we, we saw you went to the Supreme Court in Arizona and you won one of the main issues. And now that's going to be decided again by the judiciary. What, how many votes is that? I mean, in terms of when it goes to the court, how many votes are going to be decided? Like, what? Because what, we know you only lost by 17,000. So how many votes are going to be determined by the, that ruling? Well, the expert in the signature verification aspect of the case, which is the part of our case that the Supreme Court is telling the lower court to take back up, 
our experts are saying minimum 100, roughly 150,000 um, invalid ballots, bogus ballots, illegal ballots were counted. And we had three whistleblowers who came forward to describe the sham that is um, voter, uh, I'm sorry, signature verification in Maricopa County. It's a complete sham. They don't match the signatures. They don't care about matches. They just care about getting these bogus ballots counted because they are just that bogus. And when people see how much of a ridiculous system this is, how there's no oversight, how it is just really criminal, I think they're going to want to I believe that Arizonans, even those who are for mail-in ballots, are going to turn on on the mail-in ballot system the way it is right now. Uh, ben, jump in. Yeah, uh, can you hear me? Is my microphone working, Mario? It's perfect. Sounds man, great. Yeah. Great. Um, good evening, Miss Lake. Abe, how are you? Um, just a, a, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I have a brief question, but also I just wanted to uh, clarify something. I don't believe that Katie Hobbs uh, has been convicted twice of, of racism. I'm familiar with the suit in which you're speaking of, but she was not directly convicted of, of racism. But that being said, so I, I absolutely agree that, uh, you know, that ele election integrity is, is of paramount importance. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But that being wait, said, wait, 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 yeah, sure. Before you move on from that, two jury her practice of hiring and firing um, found them, them guilty that it was unlawful. And the she was awarded the, the, the uh, single mother, African-American single mother, who was fired at the hands of Katie Hobbs. She fought. She represented herself. Two juries awarded her uh, a victory. And the people of Arizona are paying $2.7 million in, um, in fees and a payout to that woman, who frankly deserves it because she shouldn't have been fired. Are you living, Absolutely, in, are but you living in Arizona? I am not, no. Okay, well, come to um, Arizona and you can learn a little bit more yeah. about it. Katie Hobbs. Well, right, but, but I, no, I, I, I understand. Right. Okay. right, but I just think that we have to be careful in saying that there's, you know, she's twice convicted, right? Because she herself was not twice convicted. But that be, that's, that's a finer point. My the, question well, is this. The, so, blame was, the blame was laid at her feet. Okay, but there's no conviction registered against her by the courts, her directly. But th that's a side point. My question is this. So, listen, I absolutely agree that election integrity is, is completely and, and absolutely paramount of paramount importance. But I also think that faith in the judicial system uh, is equally as important, right? And, and you touched on this. So, that being said, if the courts rule against you in your pending litigation, will you accept both the finality and the legitimacy of those rulings, even though you may disagree with the outcome, you know, just as Donald Trump, I'm assuming you disagree with his litigation efforts regarding 2020, but do you accept the finality and the legitimacy of both the decision and the courts that ruled uh, that way? Or is it that if they don't rule in your favor, they are illegitimate? Thank you. Well, we absolutely know we're right. Our case is, is impeccable. It's filled with evidence and we know we're right. We know what happened on election day with 100% certainty. And so do the people of Arizona. And, I, and you don't live there and I, you didn't vote on election day in Arizona. But if you go to Arizona and you just stop 10 people randomly on the street, I, I believe six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 will tell you they were victims of crime on November 8th. They were victims of a crime on November 8th when they went to vote. 
And so we, I, I, I will continue to push this forward. If we don't get the result in Arizona, uh, if we don't get justice in Arizona in the judicial system, we will move it to the United States Supreme Court. Carrie, do you think that based on what you're saying, that you could even have, based on the current climate, even have a judge who's willing to make a judgment that essentially will go against the establishment position? Because what you're asking for is quite unique. You're asking for a judge to say, which it, obviously we're looking at the information, it looks like the, there was issues with the election, but you're asking a judge to say that there was issues with the election. Do you think that the, a judge has the fortitude to actually make such a decision? And you're muted, Gary. You can't unmute bottom left corner. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Issues is a nice way to put it. <laughs> there, there, were, there was sabotage of our election, um, and that's why we're fighting it so hard. And I don't know if a judge will have the courage to do the right thing. I, I believe that corruption has seeped into every aspect of our government and in many ways uh, of, our, of our corporate um, you know, landscape as well. And we're, we're giving a judge, judges a chance to do the right thing. I'm hoping as they continue to watch the uh, unraveling of America, that they will find the courage to do the right thing, that they'll realize that the weight of our republic lies squarely on their shoulders. And so I'm hoping we get, and we're giving, we're giving the judges a chance to do the right thing before we move it up the ladder and take it to the U.S. Supreme Court. But, you know, there's, there's a great, there's a great, great quote from George Orwell, 1984, the great book, the, the classic, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. Guys, they're asking us not to believe what we saw. They're asking us not to believe what happened to the good people of Arizona on November 8th, 2022. They're telling us not to believe what we saw on November 3rd, 2020. They're telling us that a guy who can barely find the front door of the White House, who's rushing us and running us straight into World War III, who's destroyed our economy, who's uh, left our borders wide open and, and, and let the fentanyl crisis fester and grow, they're telling us that he's the most popular president in the history of this great country. 81 million votes, my ass. Don't insult my intelligence. And I don't care what you tell me, what you say to me, how you try to convince me, how the fake news tries to convince me. My eyes are wide open. I know what happened. And I will fight. This is a hill worth dying on for me. I'm a mother. I have two children. And I'll be damned if I leave a country that has turned into a communist nation to my children. And I'll be damned if I let other people's children fester in an America that's not free. So let if it does, uh, it, sorry, Mark. Two seconds, Benjamin. Uh, just a quick question they carry, and I'll go to Julia. I know she's been waiting for a while. Uh, regarding it, 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 if, the, if the Supreme Court uh, rules against uh, what you guys are fighting for, Carrie, would you concede then, or would you continue the fight? And, and how would you continue that fight? Well, I think I just told you, I know, I know what we saw. I know what we saw. We're going to give the Supreme Court a chance to judge on this. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, we're not, we, you can have a judge rule against us and that's not going to change what happened on November 8th. And I know that not everybody on this Twitter space was, was present in Arizona and voted. Again, 75% of the people who voted on election day were Republicans. So I understand that maybe a bunch of, People who are in another state or who are Democrats may not care that much about it, may not understand what happened. It happened right before our eyes. This wasn't 
a 3 a.m. where they stopped counting and injected ballots. This wasn't what they did in 2020. This was a highway robbery in front of everyone's eyes. It was an attack. You always like they always like to say this attack on democracy. The attack on democracy, guys, happened November 8th in front of everyone's eyes. And so uh, nothing will make me change my viewpoint and of what happened on November 8th. Our election was. Uh, Carrie, one one more question. Sorry, Julia, just one more question, Carrie. But what other tools do you have uh, to fight uh, after the Supreme Court decision? That's a good question. I mean, I, I'm uh, we we have we we'll have the Supreme Court, and that'll be a case that's a little bit different, um, and that may take some time. And that's why I'm not willing to just sit there and wait to see what happens in the court. And that's why I'm seriously considering running for U.S. Senate. It's a lot harder for these bozos and crooks and criminals who run our elections in Arizona, it's a lot harder for them to cheat in a three-way race, which is, which is what we would see in a U.S. Senate race in Arizona uh, this next go-around. And this is exactly why I was approached by somebody who's pretty high up in politics in Arizona, who came to my door and brought, tried to bribe me out of running for any future office. This person asked me to put my political career on hold, put it on ice, put our movement on ice for two years. They're so afraid of me being on the ballot because they know it's going to be harder to cheat this time with three people in. And they have, I'm sure they continue to have, uh, you know, find new ways to cheat. As Scott talks about, I mean, they, they will, they'll do anything. They don't have scruples, the people behind our stolen elections. And frankly, they don't care about any of us. They care about keeping this, this bureaucracy, this uh, corrupt machine this uniparty machine moving forward. John F. Kennedy, if he were alive today, would be an America first patriot. I believe that. I believe the Democrat Party has been overtaken by people who don't care about our Constitution. And I think we need to come together as Americans, whether we think we're Democrat, independent, or Republican, and just say, who's going to put our country first? Because our country needs some TLC right now. We're, we're sending billions of dollars, hundreds of billions overseas to Ukraine to protect their borders. And we're not doing a darn thing on our border. And it, it, it pains me every time I go to that border to see what's happening. It's not just a humanitarian crisis. It's a national security crisis. We're watching women and children being trafficked. And horrifyingly, we're watching Arizona, the Grand Canyon state, turn into the fentanyl state as it becomes a pipeline for the most dangerous poison ever to come into this country. And I'm tired of watching young people be poisoned to death and, and watching our country be decimated by this wide open border. And that's all that this modern day Democrat Party wants to offer is, um, is just the destruction of America. That's why I walked away and I'm, I'm, I know a lot of other people have walked away as well. Uh, Kerry, there's only three last questions. I'm, I'm going to ask a quick question, then Julia, then, then Wahid. My question will be if Trump asks you to be his running mate, what would be your answer? Would you accept the fight? Well, it's so funny because President Trump is so powerful. I don't even think he needs a running mate. I really don't. Um, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make sure he makes it into office. And I'm doing this not because I want anything in return. All I want in return, and I think is whatever the pe other people want, is for our country to get back on track. I, I ask for nothing when I speak positively and when I talk about President Trump, I do so because I know that we need somebody who loves this country and isn't in it for political gain, isn't in it for money or power. President Trump could easily go off and enjoy his life. 
Um, and I believe that he's the only man right now who can stand in the gap as we're ready to lose our country, get us back on solid footing on a world stage so we can stop this sprint into World War III. He can get our economy back on track so that everyone's um, doing better, making more money. Their 401k, their savings, their pension will, will start growing rather than withering up and, and drying up and, and getting our energy um, in a plan and situation and bringing back energy independence in our country, bring down the inflation next to zero the way it was. I think it was at lower than 2% when he was president. We got to get back to um, putting our country first and rebuilding it. And that's why I am I'm fighting for him. I ask for nothing in return. If he asked me to be um, vice president, uh, you know, that's, that's we're, we're talking about a year away. I have a lot of ambitions. Um, my ambition is to take this movement of people in Arizona and see to it that we get our state sovereignty back and we get safe streets. So anything I can do to help the people of Arizona is what I would do. Carrie, I know you're about to arrive to the airport, so so we do have to cut it. But to end it, I ask this for every notable speaker we have. Um, would love your thoughts on the experience of Twitter Spaces and you know, being able to speak to people for, with different opinions, answer questions, easy ones and tough ones. Uh, what do you think about the, the Twitter Spaces that Elon is running? Oh, well, I'm so happy that Elon paid the money to buy Twitter because we, we now have a place where it's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. It's not perfect just yet. But it's, it's a place where we finally can have an exchange of ideas, where not every conservative voice, America First Voice, is being shadow banned or canceled or, um, or completely written off. And I think it's, uh, it's resembling a little bit more of what America is out on the streets. And so I really like that. I'm, I'm actually enjoying Twitter spaces. I'd like to do more of them. And um, this was wonderful. I, I, I was actually wanting to get a few more um, people who were adversarial toward me to ask some questions tonight. Um, maybe we can do one more and we'll take an adversarial question. All right. Who's got an adversarial question? Can I choose the next question? Wahid, you could jump in with an adversarial question. Go ahead, Wahid. What? you got to unmute, Wahid. Your, your, your mic is Great, uh, sorry, muted. Thank you. Thank how you for the opportunity. How many people will, by the way, how many people will ever ask for a hater to ask them a question? <laughs> yeah, not yeah, many, Kerry. That's pretty not respectable, Kerry. That's pretty respectable. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, go I, ahead, Wahid. You've got the final question, yeah, look, man. It's very simple. We, okay. We're a global show. A lot of us are calling from outside the U.S., actually. Uh, I had the privilege right. of living in the U.S. for 20 years. But, um, you know, a lot of us have experience with this kind of thing, uh, contested elections, uh, uh, lots of tension, etc. And we observe America, and given what's happening on a daily basis with violence, fentanyl, and uh, people opposing elections, results, etc. I'm not criticizing either way. Um, I just don't see how in 2024 we will have uh, an outcome. Um, and so I just ask you, the, the trajectory is, feels like a civil war. And w what is happening to stop that pendulum from shifting to just people no longer accepting each other's results? And again, I have no opinion either way. I don't vote. Uh, but we see the trajectory of America, and it's scary. Well, I, I, first of all, thank you for the question. And thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you are sending your best wishes to America. Absolutely. I know that the world we in, many, in many ways loves America. Yeah, we need and to. when America go, when America goes bye bye, when, when it's overtaken, um, it's, I think it's really the end of, of kind of the world as we know it. 
And that's why I'm fighting. I, believe me, it's not, it's not fun to be in the middle of this craziness and insanity, but I thank God for putting me here because that means that he's, he thinks enough of all of us, what, whatever our political background is um, and ideology is to put us here at this moment. It's a critical moment, not just American history, but in human history and world history. And that he's put us here means that he has got faith in us as people to come together and do the right thing. And I hope that that happens. Um, you know, one of my concerns is that we will fight this. and I'm not sure what the outcome will be. And I think this globalist push by some pretty evil people, in my opinion, if they start to see that um, that we, the people, are, are stepping up and they're going to lose the election and they can't cheat the way they were hoping to cheat because we've, we've stopped their cheating, my fear is that they'll try to just stop the elections. Who knows what they'll throw at us? Who knows what they'll start to end the elections? I, I can't project that far into the future and, and, and guess what's going to happen. But what I can do is wake up every day, um, not feel sorry for myself, but stand up, hold my head up, and walk out that door and fight like hell. And right now, the fight I'm fighting is in the court system. And with every day that passes, we're getting new evidence and new information. Hopefully, these judges are realizing they're watching this country collapse and they're realizing that whoever pressures them to maybe make the wrong decisions, they shouldn't listen to that and they should listen to what uh, America needs and remember our founding fathers and what they desired for this country. Um, so I don't know. I, I, you know I, I could spend my whole day thinking about what could go wrong and then I might curl up in bed and not want to get out of bed. But I choose to spend my day saying, how can I fight today? What can I do today? And we need to get more and more awareness out. I don't know that we're going to be able to find a judiciary and judges to do the right thing. Part of my case is convincing the courts to look at the evidence and, and make the right ruling for the people. But another part of what I'm doing is getting the word out about our elections to the people. I'm surprised how many people aren't understanding or aren't hearing about it because the media has gone so corrupt and they won't cover it. They refuse to cover it. Isn't it shocking for all of us to think that the most taboo topic right now, I've heard the most horrendous uh, discussions about the craziest stuff out there that used to be taboo. That's no longer taboo in this country. The things you can talk to children about today that used to be taboo not too many years ago, that is now commonplace and considered okay in this culture. But we can't talk about corrupt elections. That's the most corrupt, that's the most taboo thing right now. Think about that. And so we need to start talking about it. We need to start educating people what's happening and pressuring these so-called journalists to do their job and cover this story fairly. Kerry, um, all right, Trash, I know Kerry has to jump off. Last quick question, man. I know you're an actual voter, Trash, and, and Julia, yeah, I know you want to ask a question, yeah. but uh, I'll let you and Trash decide, but and someone has to ask yeah. one final question. Uh, and, uh, I've got we'll, a good we'll, closer uh, for Carrie, if she wouldn't mind. Hi, Carrie, it's Julia. Um, you're one of the few who really seems to stand up and fight for your principles. I'm wondering why aren't we seeing more of this, particularly from conservative leaders? And I also wanted to tie this into your comments on the Fox News-Tucker Carlson split, after which you encouraged every person at Fox News who cares about their country to walk away from the network, rather than letting Fox use their reputation and credibility to promote a globalist establishment agenda. Do you think anyone's going to be brave enough to walk away? And what opportunities do you see for America First journalists outside of the traditional mainstream media outlets? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, Thank I you. did walk away because I didn't want to lend my reputation, my voice, my heart and soul to putting out half-truths. And that's what 
journalism had become just a bunch of half truths, which we all know is just a fancy, a fancy way of saying lies. I wasn't willing to do that. And I think there's a lot of people who are walking away and they're finding, uh, they're finding actually great living in independent journalism in podcasting. I mean, you'd be surprised how much people are making and they're able to make a living and guess what? They're able to wake up every day and not have that internal pain of not doing the right thing of living unethically. They get to live ethically and morally, which is great. Um, I hope that a few people will walk away. I, I sure as heck would want to work for an outlet, any outlet, any, any corrupt news outlet that was pushing this globalist agenda. It's a communist agenda. I mean, Megyn Kelly walked away. She's doing quite well. Glenn Beck is doing great. He walked away. Bill O'Reilly, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Tucker. Um, you know, we've got people who have walked away. There is life after working for a corrupt corporate news outlet. Trust me, I would, it was the greatest decision I ever made. Was it a scary? Yes, it was. Now you're asking about why don't more conservatives, why don't more Republicans speak out? I think the reason we don't see more, we don't see more courageous, bold uh, Republican politicians speaking out is because they just, all they want is to be a politician. They have a desire to be a career politician. And they're afraid, oh, what if I step this way and get too bold? I might upset, tip the apple cart, and I might not be able to stick around. They might vote me out. I don't care. And, you know, I, I want to I get in. I want to be the governor. We won that race. I want to turn Arizona around. I want to secure the border, make sure our streets are safe, let our kids get an education where they're having an opportunity to learn uh, trade skill training, vocational training, so they can get out of high school ready for the jobs that are out there. I want to end chronic street homelessness and lift these people up. And this is what I want to do. And then I want to get the hell out of politics. What kind of uh, insane person do you have to be to want to be a lifelong politician? Unfortunately, we have way too many of them. And then they're in there protecting their own interests rather than caring about the people. Because if they care about the people right now, they would be speaking up, screaming out loudly like their hair is on fire. Because if your hair is not on fire right now with concern for this country, then you don't understand what's happening. We are in a war right now. It may not be a war where bullets are flying. The ammunition is information. And we need a few brave souls. They don't have to be professional communicators. You can be an amateur communicator. You just have to open your mouth, use what's left of our First Amendment, and communicate the trouble that America's in. Because it's, it's, up, it's incumbent on us to stand up right now. It's our duty as American citizens to stand up and try to save this country. Terry, thanks a lot for joining. It's a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mari. I wish I could stay. We're, we're literally just pulling up almost to the airport here. Hey, Terry, hey, um, can we have you back soon? Can we have you back soon? Would you like to come back sometime? Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime I can do it, we can fit it into the schedule. I just want a, a shout out to Abe Hamadeh. I see he's on here, and I know he was speaking before I got on. This is a fighter. Abe is an amazing man. Um, he's got incredible courage. And there are fighters up there. I know that, um, I don't know what trash uh, discourse, <laughs> I don't know what that person's name was, but I'm just the person who goes by that handle. There are fighters out there. I'm not the only one. Trump isn't the only one. Abe Hamaday is a fighter. And a lot of people who don't get the credit are working behind the scenes, spreading information, good information about what's happening. We, there are millions of people who are doing their part, whether it's a big part or a small part to help. We just need millions more to jump in as well, especially here in New York. I heard that there were New Yorkers who were afraid to open their mouth and speak the truth about what's happening. They're afraid to support 
President Trump or America First policies. And I said, since when are New Yorkers afraid to speak out? We need some, we need those bold, brash New Yorkers to use their voice and speak out for what's right. Terry, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Uh, everybody on this. And um, we, we just appreciate everyone who's out there fighting. But this is really about saving America for all of us, whether we have uh, liberal policies that we believe in and ideologies or conservative. It's about protecting this great country that uh, we want to get to 250 years and beyond. And I'm, I'm, I'm bound and determined to help make that happen. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, really Terry. Bye-bye. Have, have a safe flight. Thank you. Aaron, take it, man. Trash, hey, man. Mike, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you guys. Abe, I appreciate you being here. So I'm actually in Maricopa County. I'm in Scottsdale. Matter of fact, I, I'm not too far. I'm walking distance to Orange Tree. So I actually was at the Orange Tree uh, event uh, just just recently. And uh, I've been watching yours, Abe, closely, especially within the court case, especially the margin of error within those votes. But one of the things that I'm seeing here um, that seems to be an issue. So we we thought we had a fight going after the board of supervisors. Once you change the board of supervisors, then we can change the election commission. Like that was a fight that I believe that probably could have been won. And I still think it's on the table. And Abe, your, your case is interesting. Uh, I've looked at yours and Carrie's obviously she has a case. I've been following it for some time, but um, yours specifically is interesting. And if that flips, I mean, I, I believe that there's additional ramifications on that uh, where that can actually play out even into the other candidates favors. But my question was going to be for Carrie and Abe, I'm still glad you're here. Thank you. How, how, how do we actually re get rid of these establishment Republicans that are on the election commission, like Bill Gates, not the Bill Gates guys. If you don't know, we have an Arizona Bill Gates um, and, 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 and several other people that are actually involved that actually colluded together to make sure that America first candidates were actually withheld by forming a super PAC and so on and so forth. Abe, how do you see that fight moving forward? Because I'm actually trying to figure out a way to navigate that fight so we can actually move into 2024 and beyond. Well, that's a great question. And thank God we have primaries still. So, uh, you know, we're fighting some Republicans also, Mario, that's what's so unusual, right? Um, and, and you're referring to Supervisor Bill Gates, who in the Atlantic just two months ago, there's a reported text messages he sent to the Democrat New Mexico Secretary of State uh, saying that when I got endorsed by President Trump, he said, oh, well, look for me in handcuffs in January since Trump just endorsed this, uh, quote unquote, stop the steal candidate. So and, you know, he was joking. But as you can imagine, this is a person who is in charge of Election Day operations. And as soon as the ballots were not reading in the tabulators and the tabulation machines and the printers were malfunctioning, you know, he could have asked the court to extend voting hours, Mario, but he didn't because he had every incentive to try to prevent me and Carrie from taking office. Um, so when you're looking at what can be d done about it in 2024, almost all of the supervisors are up for election and you know, luckily, I, <laughs> I'm not sure how many allies left the supervisors have, even in the Republican Party, because it was quite embarrassing what everybody witnessed that day. And that's the difference between 2020 and 2022, because on Election Day on November 8th, you had the most skeptical voters voting on that day. And unfortunately, this was an attack on democracy, because what I am so petrified of is that what if 1%, 2% of Republicans just simply never vote again? You know, and, and that's a real possibility, especially here in Arizona. And that's why I'm continuing to fight my legal case. You know, I am, 
believe me, I am someone who is, you know, I, I'm a traditionalist. I, I wanted to concede my election. I was actually planning on conceding the election. But some of your listeners may not know. I mean, prior to the recount, we were down 511 votes. And then all of a sudden, after the recount, it went down to 280. And that was all because of one county in Pinal County. They discovered that there was uh, tabulation errors, that the machines were not tabulating it correctly. And, um, and this information was withheld from us to, prior to trial by Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. But what's worse than that, Maricopa County, which again is Republican-led, they withheld provisional ballots from us, which are public records. So when we're talking about the corrupt system, they use legal means and they use some maybe perhaps illegal means as well. But it's it, this is this is a war to them. And I think <laughs> often Republicans just haven't realized it. A question for you. Sorry, I, just because uh, I want to jump in because you just mentioned it. You were considering conceding. Uh, that's uh, very notable. Um, you know, one question that I have is the same question that Ben was asking uh, Miss Lake, uh, what what would your answer be if the court? That was my next question. That's what I was going to ask Abe. Uh, I'm sorry to interject, Abe. Listen, you're a former prosecutor. You're well known in the uh, in the community. You're intelligent, and I believe you're a man of integrity. So my question is this: Clearly, you have made a living. Uh, not only enforcing the judgments of the court, but, you know, the legitimacy of the court. So that being said, if this either is declined uh, to be taken up by the Supreme Court or if the Supreme Court were to rule against you, would you accept the finality and legitimacy of those rulings? Keep in mind, Clarence Thomas said very recently, people have to learn to accept decisions and live with them that they don't like. So I just I'm asking your honest opinion. I'm not trying to grill you. But, you know, it's an important question. There's a lot of people listening in the room here. And you would agree that faith in the judicial system is a bedrock of, of America, right? So would you personally uh, accept that, the, both the finality and the legitimacy of the rulings, even though you may not like it? Thank you, Abe. Well, obviously, because, you know, I've taken an oath to defend. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Thank you, you for saying that. Would you officially All right, just, just let him answer then. Go ahead, Abe. Well, I took my oath as a as an army officer to the constitution, I take that oath very seriously. I took it as a prosecutor. I know the system that, you know, we're working within, you know, I understand even, even if there is a concession that we fought all the way to the end and it didn't go our way, you know, I ultimately know that would be the end of the road. However, I will maintain that I did. My case is very different than others. I mean, this is a, this is a race of 280 votes out of 2.5 million with still 8,500 ballots that are uncounted and we have the party breakdown of those ballots it's 70 percent republican so i will maintain that i had more votes than my opponent but if at the end of the day you know the courts rule against us, obviously i will accept that result but let me the reason why i'm fighting this ben and mario arizona is unlike any other state i wouldn't just be fighting this just to make a point arizona is i think perhaps one of the only states that has ever overturned a statewide election before. I mean, we overturned the 1970, the 1916 governor's race in Arizona after it was determined that the person who won that race didn't, in fact, receive the most votes. And that race, by the way, was five times more. The difference total was five times greater than our race. So ours is the closest race in Arizona history. We have some really good, strong justices on the Arizona Supreme Court. Um, I think if you look at the actions, I'm not just complaining about what happened on November 8th, but just look at the actions after when you have Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, who is a Democrat, who had every incentive to try to prevent 
you know, the recount information from coming to our legal teams light to trial, you know, that's a problem. And when you have Maricopa County also not releasing uh, public records to us prior to trial, that's a problem. What the hell were they so scared of? And that's exactly why, the, in, in many ways, the greatest irony of all of this is if they would have just been honest with our legal team, I don't think we would have prevailed because in Arizona, you also have about 10 days to to go to an election contest trial. But since they withheld evidence, you know, I think now it's going to open up a new trial for us. And, and now we've discovered that so many of these ballots that were seen as rejected provisionals should have been counted. And uh, Republicans overwhelmingly had a higher rejection rate than any other uh, any other Democrat or independent. So that's why I feel confident about the case. But obviously, you know, I'm young. I'm 31 years old. Whether it's this election or future elections, you know, they're going to have to deal with me for a very long time. And I think that's it gives me a great, um, you know, it, it gives me a lot of hope that there's so many people waking up to this system. I first got involved in politics when I was 16 back on the Ron Paul campaign. So I've been an underdog my whole life. So they're, they're not going to get rid of me that quickly. Thank you, Abe, for, for answering that way. And I'll, I'll finish with this. You know, I, I too am a lawyer, a former prosecutor, actually. And the one... Uh, the one reoccurring question I have had from people who are not well versed in the law is it surrounds right well the legitimacy of the courts what can be done what can be done you know and and I think that you just did a really good you did a great service to people who are listening right that listen of course you have every right to appeal it uh, any decision and so forth and so forth that's why those mechanisms and avenues are in place but the fact that you said you may disagree with it and that you will accept it you know that's a very powerful statement and I truly appreciate you answering it uh, that way thank you Abe Tira I know you've got a question go ahead. Well, I wanted to make one statement. I understand there were comments made about Katie Hobbs and her integrity. I want to point out one thing. When Cochise County refused to certify their votes, Katie Hobbs sued them and said, no, 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 you have to certify their votes. Now, had they not certified their votes, a state, um, I think it was school board position, would have flipped to the Republicans as well as a House Senate seat. So basically, by demanding that they certify their votes, Katie Hobbs actually lost a House congressional seat. That is actually integrity. I want to point that out. Okay, number two, Mr. Hammond, I want to ask you um, one thing. I, I too, I'm a retired lawyer interested in law. And what is what would be the basis? I understand you're going back to the lower courts and you will be relitigating one issue that the Arizona Supreme Court allowed you to relitigate. The rest of them were dismissed. What would be the basis if you get denied again up the chain for a constitutional claim, a U.S. constitutional claim, which is the only way I gather you're going to be able to get into the federal courts? Well, Tara, to be quite honest, um, I don't know what you're talking about because I think you're mixing my case with Carrie Lake's case. So um, and regarding Katie Hobbs integrity, I will say that she had information that Pinal County had issues with undervotes. And she had that information on December 21st, at least. And her attorneys in court did not inform the judge, did not tell our legal team. And this, this, this was an issue that we were expressly litigating over. So, no, she does not have integrity. And then, quite frankly, I, I believe that they violated candor to the court with that in that respect. But you're going to have to talk to uh, Carrie's legal so, team. So you're saying that the Cochise County decision that she made was 
in her in her interest, because as far as I know, it was against her interest, against the interest of Democrats. To be honest, are you? I'm not talking about what you just said. I'm talking about the the issue that I specifically raised. Cochise County refusing to certify for no reason except they didn't like Maricopa County results, and then she went in and said, "No, we need your votes regardless of whether it's going to hurt us." Was that the right thing to do? Let's just say. Well, it's not for for me to decide. What I can tell you is that Pinal County clearly should not have certified. I, I understand. Result. So you're not answering. I get that. Thank you so much. No, I mean, I think just because I don't answer it the way you want me to answer it doesn't mean I didn't answer it. I think Katie Hobbs was pressure. I mean, obviously, there's you, you have to certify an election. All the counties have to certify an election. It's obviously a procedure that needs to be done, but it's not automatic. And it's not automatic for express purposes like what occurred in Pernell County. So for her to suggest, and by the way, it wasn't just her saying, oh, you have to certify. She threatened to jail them. And if you look at what happened with Carrie Lake right now, why I respect Carrie so much, you have the current Secretary of State, Adrian Fontes, referring Carrie for releasing a signature that was widely posted in a Senate hearing. He's referred her to criminal prosecution to this attorney general who's in office right now. Now, think about how dangerous that is to democracy. So when you're talking about what the Democrats are doing, they're the ones who have hijacked our country, abused the legal system and abused our elections. So, no. And that's what I'm standing up against. But I'm not going to sit back and accept your premise that Katie Hobbs is a person of integrity. She's a complete failure. That's why even two weeks prior to the election on November 8th, she her office openly admitted to sending 8000 erroneously federal only ballots. You know, she, she's a complete mess. She showed up to the office barely any time in the past year. But, you know, she somehow got in because she has the fourth estate, which is the the, the fake journalist who covered her water for her. But no, I, I do not believe Katie. Hobbs but she got in. She got in. She was legitimately elected. I mean, you just she got in. Right. Like Carrie Lake is not the shadow governor, the real governor. She is the duly elected governor of Arizona. I mean, can you concede that point, even though you're. Obviously, you have some litigation. I, I clearly, I don't expect you to really answer in the affirmative, but she is the legitimate elected governor of Arizona. Well, with, with ongoing election litigation cases, I would argue that it's not it's not legitimized finally yet. So, no, she's the current governor, um, as well as the attorney general is the current attorney general. But what historically what happens is in, in these cases, there's with the legal system, there's de jour and there's de facto. Absolutely. So, is I, there a process of decertifying her win? I, I'm not sure. Is there a process of doing that or no? Katie Hobbs. Yeah. Yes, I, yes I there would be. 1916, uh, Arizona okay. Supreme Court overturned that governor's election. In 1997, there is a Yuma County Board of Supervisors. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, here, right, here yeah. Benjamin, yeah. I have a question for you guys. Do you think that when it comes to Katie Hobbs, she was overlooking the elections that she was also running in. Do you think, I mean, you said that she's the pillar of integrity. If she was the pillar of integrity, do you not think that she should have? I never said no, that. No, 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 no. I, I never not, said that. First of all, I, never I did said not that. say that. I pointed out one specific in, instance um, in which she showed integrity because she literally filed a lawsuit against her own interest or okay. the interest of so Democrats. Are you going to ask my question? Okay? That's so all I'll, I said. I'll, I'll answer. I'll, I'll, are you going to ask my question? Yeah, my, she my, should have recused herself. You know, like I, local I will election. answer that and then let Ben answer. Thank you. We, I, I believe, frankly, that it would be great if people would always recuse themselves. I think that Clarence Thomas should have recused himself from some stuff. But unfortunately, we don't have those sort of options in America. 
What I will say is there are a number of state secretary of states who were involved in elections for governor, etc. And there's no obligation for them to remove themselves. Most of what they do is sort of ceremonial. So I don't actually think there's much there that they can do. But I, it would be nice if they could recuse themselves or they did recuse themselves. But we've had this is this is across the country. So if you have a problem with it, you should have a problem with it everywhere. Thank you. If you have yeah, you you follow this question, so I'll end if I may answer your question. Go ahead, Benjamin. Yeah, so I think that you know there's a difference between moral justice and legal justice, right? There's morality and legality. So would it have been perhaps in good taste for her to ceremonially, you know, ceremonially and, and symbolically recuse herself? Sure, but there was no legal requirement to do to do so. So, you know, that's a really hard question to answer, Suleiman. I mean. Uh, sure, maybe uh, it you know symbolically it would have given uh, better optics, but there's no requirement for her to do so, and I, I I don't think that by her not recusing herself there was any harm done. I, I have never heard of an argument or read any documents uh, or paperwork to substantiate that claim. If there is, I'll change my viewpoint. Right? Didn't Tira? Didn't you just mention now that she authenticated? Didn't you just mention now that she she showed integrity by authenticating a, a, a specific? No, no, no. This was after the election. After the election, when Cochise Cantor refused to certify their results, she brought a lawsuit against them saying, no, you have to certify that lawsuit the law was against her. Well, I'm talking about yeah, after. Yeah. So the lawsuit she brought, is was that a on the basis that she was the Secretary of State or was it uh, as on the basis that she was a governor? No, she was because of the Secretary of State. And so that shows that as her role, it wasn't just ceremonial then, is it? Because she essentially took brought out a lawsuit to have uh, a certain results authenticated. Wait, wait, wait. But that was after the fact. Now, if I mean, it's after the fact, she... but it de demonstrates that her role wasn't just ceremonial as per what you tried to indicate. I, I would actually dis. Well, look, I would disagree with you on that. I would say that that had nothing actually to do with the balloting on the day of. OK, that was a completely different type of lawsuit. So I would agree. I would disagree with you is what I'm saying. And I also, by the way, I want to agree with Benjamin. That's exactly what I was trying to say. There are people should recuse themselves if they don't. And I don't know why we would hold her to a higher, let's just say, moral standard than anyone else. Hey, Tira. Hey, you're totally wrong about Cochise County. Totally wrong. So what what the temper tantrum... Do we have any kind of order, any kind of order at all? Um, so go ahead, Robert. Thank uh, you. I'll be Go brief. Ahead. This yeah, is, an, I mean, this is an easy one. Conversation here. Let's just be very clear. We're, yeah, this, this is a conversation. It's a quick, Go ahead. quick conversation. So, so Katie Hobbs basically was through a temper tantrum and said, well, we're not going to count any votes in Cochise County because Cochise actually wanted to do a paper hand count and compare them to the machines. Katie, Katie Hobbs objected. All the Democrats came in. Mark Elias came in and said, no, you can't do that. We don't want to look at the paper. That might show some discrepancies. So, what, what Tara is, is falsely misleading everybody about here is that the count, what, what Katie, she, the only way Tara is saying that it would work like that is if you just throw out the entire vote of the entire county. Nobody wanted to do that, Tara. Okay, we wanted an accurate count at Cochise. If, if, not, if the, the House race and the, and the school board race would have been changed if Katie Hobson got in her way and said, we're not going to count the entire county. We just wanted a fair count in, Co in Cochise County. I, I don't, I'm not going to agree with you, but I'm not going to have, uh, I, I have to go back and look at the actual um, lawsuit, which I'm not going to do right now, but I'm happy to do that later and I will DM you. Okay. Please do. Yep.
Thank you for that, Robert. Let's go for Fidgetal. Oh, no, uh, Fidgetal, then Patrick. Go ahead, Fidgetal. Sure, I just want to make sure that I heard the numbers correctly. Abe, were you referring to jurisprudence from 1916 as a basis for your argument? Yes, it's actually the basis of all election uh, contests in Arizona still. It's, uh, right, but the, 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 there's, there should be there should be re more recent uh, jurisprudence that you could rely on that would that would echo the 1916 case, correct? Right. Nineteen ninety-seven, the Yuma County Board of Supervisor race was overturned as well, and they relied on the nineteen sixteen precedent. Right. So, what was the basis? Physically, your mic is really bad. Really, really bad. If you can sorry. Oh, so, sorry, I apologize. Uh, while Fidgetal's sorting his mic out, let's go for Patrick. Hey, thanks, uh, Suleiman. Uh, yeah, Abe, um, first of all, I just want to say, uh, you know, you ran an incredible campaign, uh, as did Kerry, uh, attended uh, the Chandler event with Tulsi Gabbard, and uh, it was just, I think, what you guys did in the state. You brought a lot of people who had been completely disenchanted with the electoral process and, and brought them out with a lot of enthusiasm. And I can personally testify uh, uh, there was a number of Democrats uh, that were in residence as well that were also uh, captured by the energy that you guys brought uh, to the campaign. So I just want to say that uh, you guys made a huge impact and no, nobody's ever seen a, a state run like that. So you, you can imagine how shocked uh, a lot of voters were uh, when the, when the result came in and we started seeing the reports, especially in Maricopa County on the day, um, is really unbelievable. It's, it's, as, it, uh, you probably heard all this before, Abe, but most people, um, do not even know or trust that their vote was even counted or counted correctly. That's the level of, uh, trust in the system. And this is a very, uh, dangerous thing. So this isn't just any, uh, in my opinion, uh, this is, not just any uh, judicial decision. We're talking about uh, elections here. This is the basis of everything uh, in the in the United States or in the state of Arizona uh, specifically. But my question, Abe, is this: um, as a voter, um, I'm I'm also you know, looking at Kerry's case, looking at your case. Clearly, there's some uh, fundamental problems here that uh, have gone unaddressed, and I'm looking down ballot, and I'm looking at, for instance. Blake Masters, 120,000, 125,000 vote difference. I'm looking at all the state rep and the state Senate seats because in terms of election reform going forward or national elections, the, these are absolutely critical. So I'm looking at my whole ballot um, as well as your case and, and Kerry's case. So my question is if uh, for specifically for Kerry's case, I would have asked her this question if I was able to, but um, if there was a decision for either of you or one of you, um, would, that by de would that de facto uh, be caused to uh, recalculate the other down-ballot races? Because I think Secretary of State is another example. You know, the, the actual machinery of the elections is, is really controlled by result how, how would that affect the rest of, of the thanks for the question patrick uh i don't think it's
it's going to affect any other races because there's no ongoing Aussie at that time. He was up 200 in ballots and they did two recounts. They did one machine count and one hand count. And then it switched to the Democrat. You know, so it, the, the Democrats, the, what I respect the hell out of them in many ways, because they're a winner at they, they win at all costs. They don't care if they take down the judicial system with it. They don't care if they take down the election confidence with it. And that's why you see Mark Elias. It's really odd. In our case, Mark Elias, a Democrat uh, a powerhouse attorney, he's actually he's in Arizona federal court in the Ninth Circuit right now arguing one of the key issues in our case, which is that people's registrations were being erroneously canceled when they have multiple residences within Arizona. So if, if you notice, he's awfully quiet with our race because all my election lawsuit is saying is that we need to count every legal vote. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting once we do, because I do believe we're going to uh, it's going to result in an overturning of our election. Thank you very much. Abe. Could, could I can I just respond to, to um, something that Robert said, Robert, I just went and looked apparently the and nobody I'm sure this is a very minor point for most people, but I did look um, Cochise County requested the right to can count all ballots. Apparently, the judge, Judge McGinley, at the local level, um, Pima County, said that that was not the statute did not allow that. That was ultimately when they went to um, the state Supreme Court and asked them to transfer it. That was denied. So basically, they were not allowed to do that because it was not legal to do that. And then, as I said, what happened with um, Katie Hobbs happened. She actually sued the county and said, you must certify. So I think what you said was not let's just say it didn't have all the facts. Thank you. That's a pretty big distinction. Uh, I mean, Robert. Robert wasn't yep. there when you mentioned. Yeah, it, no, yeah. Robert, sorry, I, I, I heard. I heard most of it. Thank you. So again, um, the the threat to the Cochise County was that the only way those the state um, rep and the and the school board race would have been impacted is because of Katie Hobbs threatening to disenfranchise the entire county of voters. So count none of them. She just didn't want any way to do a paper hand count to compare to the machines. And that was so So what she did was she sort of just knocked the pieces off the board game and said, well, we're not if you're not going to if we if you do a paper hand count, then we're going to not going to count anybody in the county, which is which is the paper hand count was rejected by a judge. No, but now not by her. Uh, no, that's not exactly true. Um, the 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 recorder and the elections director uh disagree with that they are going to do one now actually and and we will see the difference in in that and that may actually help abe as well in um, in cochise so fidget have you managed to get your uh, mic sorted i don't know how, is it, how does it sound oh, much better much better good um, I, I wanted to actually clarify the, the reliance that Abe was having on the 1990 jurisprudence based on the 1916 uh, case, because I'm fairly sure that it's uh, factually and uh, logistically completely different from my, from my brief research. There was a Yuma one that was 1996, and then there was another statewide uh, race that was uh, um, 1973. Yes, but, 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 but why, why was the 1996 one overturned? No, it wasn't overturned. It, the, the precedent was forgotten. And actually, as a matter of fact, Peter Thompson in the trial court in, Mar in Maricopa totally disregarded the the other case law on on materiality of maladministration. And that was 
um, brought before the Supreme Court in Carrie Lake's appeal. And by the way, Mario, back on your comment to, to Carrie Lake, the, um, the Supreme Court did rule that there's a problem with the signatures, and that is going to be remanded as soon as they clear out the sanctions matter. So the signatures, and it's a lot of them. Carrie said maybe 150,000, but she's really, really talking about 298,000 had some type of problem where Maricopa just waved them through. They didn't look at them, and they were clearly mismatched. So, you know, Kerry was being uh, kind of conservative on that, saying the, the net result might be 150,000 on the on the, the change in the race. And that and, uh, you know, uh, Patrick's right. It's going to affect everybody. It's, it's, it's all ballot questions, all candidates, lots of congressional races, Abe Hominy, everybody. So there's a lot more to, be, to happen on that. I'll just reiterate on that. Are you saying that the court... The Supreme Court of Arizona confirmed that there was an issue with the signatures. Yes, because because no, that's a lie. No, they they said that that's, they, that's not that's not what well, they said. No, no. Oh, yeah, they, you know, we I think we had this. Uh, okay, we need to refine this. They said the trial court needed to look at it again. They they were wrong to dismiss it. But that doesn't necessarily suggest that they found that there were was an issue, right? Correct. They just said this, correct. It, yeah. Right. They said they had to look at you had to look at the procedures. Again, yeah, basically not so necessarily that's not, the signatures. Yeah. Correct. False. But you, but you know not, what yeah. was the interesting thing? That, that they, they, they were looking at this through a lens of materiality. Like they, they were looking at, well, is this a number large enough? And they, and they shouldn't have been. But they were looking at, is this a number large enough to change the race? And they thought, well, 290,000, that's that could be big. Maybe you ought to look at it. And and they pushed it down. So it, it, it will. And Thompson is, is going to come up with something in the next couple of weeks when when the sanctions thing is cleared up. Yeah, but there is a big difference between them saying that, look, you, you, you know, there may be some procedural issues and them finding actual problems, right? That, that, that's that was, my, that was yeah, my point, right? The point, the point was it's being inferred that the, it, there was a, a adjudication as to the merits of the materiality exactly. of, of, yeah. of, of the of the signatures, and there was not. I, I would. There is now. Yeah, there is now that, the, you know, the adjudicating of the materiality and the factuality of the signatures, and they could just as easily rule on materiality, which is what I tried to bet Doc about, that I believe that would come down uh, not in her favor. I so remember don't, that. Please, don't, the, please the, don't misinterpret. It was $100 bet or whatever. the 10000 $10, No, but I mean, you know, okay, you know, procedure, what's what's a procedure? Is it is it disenfranchising 298,000 people by putting fake votes in there? I, don't, I would say that's more than a procedural problem. No, no, no. You just, you just misquoted it again. There is no evidence or any uh, adjudication as to uh, impropriety with regards to signatures, one or 300,000. Then why? The only why thing the court decided was that they're going to determine it now. Digital, then why wasn't it dismissed in the Supreme Court? Why was it sent back down to the trial court? Because, because there was because, not a factual analysis. And they said it wasn't because sufficient. Because they had right. looked at so it from the standpoint of prior to the election, Doc, to be as done. a general matter, they hadn't looked they, at they it don't in waste context their time of the election. 250,000 votes if there's not the possibility. Dude, they kicked it. They kicked it. Down. No, no, that's a, that's a falsity to, to the audience. They kicked that's it not. down. They kicked it down because they said that the trial court misapplied in terms of statute of limitations, the applicability of the claim from the it had nothing to do with statute of limitations. It had to do with the timing of it whether had to do with the, the law was guys. oh my god. It had to, guys. Excuse me. Guys. Let me let me calmly guys. say this, okay? It had okay. it had to do with the fact that the signature verification standards in the equipment were raised to over eleven percent 
as opposed lies. To that, 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 that is not correct. That's not true. That's that is, not correct. That is not correct. Not correct. Each other. Guys, guys, you create your own universe here. Doc, so I'm gonna doc, 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 no, trash. 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 But this Wait. is incorrect, Crash, right? The court, I know. The, they're, not, they're not making any judgment on the validity guys. or the. Go ahead, Trash. I know, like, guys, like, you guys are arguing past each other. It's two separate conversations. Doc, I believe that you're actually litigating what happened um, here recently versus what this, this case that they're actually referring to. So, okay. <laughs> um, well, keep, I'm not referring to any old case. I'm referring to the case that's there now been sent down to the trial court yes, Doc. from the Supreme but, Court. That's the only Doc. thing that's relevant here. Yes, Doc, but they're actually talking about the old case. That's why I said you guys are talking past each other because you're talking about two separate cases. Well, keep keep, it, keep in mind, saying. though, when the, the, the appeal to the Supreme Court added relevant new information, and that was what was presented to the Arizona Senate, and that had very many more specifics on the exact problems with these signatures. So that that is new information that informed the, the, the Supreme Court's decision to you know, you can call it what you want. Proceed to go back and look at the procedures of it, but they're going to look at signatures. Let, you, you can at least agree on that. They're going to decide what to do about the signature claims, right? Yeah, yeah right. I mean, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, from what I understand, they are talking about the same case. It's just what Fidgetal is saying is that the Supreme Court didn't judge the merits of the case. Now, when it goes back to the lower exactly. court, it's going to be exactly. judged on the merits. No, they didn't make a final decision, but they will after the trial court re-examines the signature verification process. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's, it's that simple. And, I mean, that's what and you said. guys are trying that's to what distract said. from that's the what facts here said, by or taking a political position. It's, it's frustrating. No, no, but don't, don't, well, that's, at what, the same that's what Fidget and Ben said. Yeah. I don't get what bit you're disagreeing with them on. Well, keep in mind, you sent out a tweet, right? My, my question to Carrie Lake, even Abe in the room, listen, Abe, I think that my question was legitimate, right? It, that is an absolutely appropriate question to ask somebody who is or was you or will be. You are disrespectful to her. May I finish my point? You are disrespectful. If you're going to mention you, my tweet and attack me, well, I, I will. Talk. I will. You I'm also put for you to, to go on. Well, school, you, okay? well, you. Right, well, well, no, no, hold on, hold on, Nick. Hold on, one moment, Nick. I'm gonna, just. I'm gonna let, no, no, no. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let you go, Ben. That's why. I, that's why I was jumping in. So go ahead, Benjamin. Yeah, if you want to talk about disrespect, my first encounter with you, in which you didn't like what I said because you gave absolutely incorrect legal advice, you put out a tweet claiming that I was a 76-year-old disbarred lawyer who happened to share the same... Uh, his last name. I never said you were 76. I never said you were disbarred. Produce yes, you did. Produce the you tweet. did. Produce the tweet. Did you or did Liar. you not put it? Did right, you? So guys, hold on, no, okay, no. guys, listen. This is not this is not relevant to the conversation. You guys can have your little uh, disagreement about law licenses off, off, you know, privately or wherever it may be. I mean, let me ask uh, Abe a question before I move on to somebody else. Abe, uh, first of all, I appreciate you being on here and answering the questions. You've been you have received a lot of tough questions. Um, well, what are we going to see next in terms of your legal case from a timeline perspective? Well, I just get a kick out of listening to all these attorneys just bickering. And it was it's reminiscent to the primary where often I was the youngest person on stage, but I often felt as if I was the most mature. Um, you know, this is going to take a few months to to decide and litigate all of these issues. So, you know, back in 1916 um, with the governor's race in that uh, case, that took all the way up until December of 1917 to resolve all those issues. And by the way, back then, the governor only served two-year terms. So it was actually halfway through the, uh, the, the illegitimate governor's term where it was overturned. Um, in 1997, with the Yuma County supervisor race, that also took, I believe, until 
November. I am hoping that ours is a little bit more expedited. We're still at the trial court level where we're just waiting for um, we have oral arguments on May 16 um, to decide whether we are entitled to a new trial. I believe if the judge rules in our favor, I believe that the uh, that Chris Mays is going to appeal that to the Supreme Court to try to prevent us from getting a new trial. Because if you read all of her briefings and pleadings, they're never they're not even claiming that they have more votes than us, by the way. Um, they're they're claiming is that she's already in office. So I, I think they're going to probably oppose it. And, you know, same way if if the judge rules against us, we would also appeal that to the Supreme Court as well. So this, this is going to take, you know, a few months. I'm hoping it gets resolved sometime in, in the fall. So in terms of your case, if, um, and you mentioned that one of the issues is that they're deciding is the 8000 ballots that haven't been counted. What other aspects are there to your case? Well, it's to go back. We're still at the trial court level. So it's we're litigating illegal ballots, legal ballots, um, procedures that occur on Election Day. So I don't want to get too technical with all of your listeners. But I mean, there were also 269 voters who showed up on Election Day, checked in with the with the system. And that check in registers as a vote. But they also dropped off their mail in votes and you know, having spoken to many of these people, they never actually voted in person. They just dropped off their mail-in ballot, but they accidentally checked in. So, you know, there with 280 votes, I mean, this is the it's a 0.01 percent um, difference. So, for our case, it's it's going to be we're not alleging fraud. We don't need to allege fraud. We we're alleging that there were um, votes that were erroneously rejected. And that we're trying to get them to count again. And I believe that there's going to be a significant number of them, probably over a thousand, just based off our, off our research, because these pr provisional voters typically are people who are not registered to vote or they came and they registered after the deadline. What we're discovering with our analysis of the provisional ballots is these 8,500, many, many, many of them, hundreds of them have voted in either the 2022 primary in August, they voted in the 2020 election, they voted in the 2018 election. Um, and besides that, there's also the issue of the undervotes, which Pinal County actually affirmed that we did have a legitimate case where our deficit shrunk from 511 to 280 because the tabulators were not reading these undervotes. An undervote, by the way, is a vote that is not is, is showing that's not registered for the attorney general's race. So say they voted for the Senate race or the governor's race, but then they skipped over the attorney general's race. So you know, that, that's all of our legal um, issues. But, you know, with 280 votes, anything could happen. Right and just one more question. Well, and if, so real quick. Just one more question. Well, uh, just let me ask you one more question. Uh, just And it's just based on what Benjamin was asking you. And he said, would you accept the election result? Now, I understand that you would accept the uh, election result to keep maybe peace in society or whatever it may be. Would you still, uh, uh, for example, in, from my perspective, I do not believe, uh, I think it's very difficult for a judge to have the uh, kutzpah to basically rule and say that there was an issue with the election. And you have to be very anti-establishment to do it. And you have to be willing to uh, risk your future career prospects. Um, so, so my question to you is, even if you said that you would accept it, would you still believe that there were still issues with the election? Well, of course. I mean, there, November 8th, you couldn't. I mean, everybody witnessed what happened on, on Election Day with the if the printer issues had uh, if there were no printer issues, we would have won. But probably by we would have we would not even be in this position. But we're suggesting that with these eight thousand five hundred uncounted provisional ballots within that group, we do have more votes 
than than Chris Mays. So uh, I will accept the legal, the finality of the of the legal process, of course. But I, I mean, why don't we just count all those ballots then? Because I guarantee you, we will win by two thousand or three thousand votes, and they know it. And this is why my case presents such a you know, conundrum for the Democrats, because they're the ones usually screaming and shouting, count every vote. In this case, you know, if you, if you notice that that's not the tune that they want, because they got the results that they wanted. And now they're just uh, going to try to, you know, unpretzel themselves to 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 make their legal arguments. But I don't think they're going to hide from it. I mean, you know, you're right about one judge, you know, that that's where it's easier when an institution, right, the Supreme Court, adds the legitimacy for it. So once whether the trial court agrees with us, it's going to be appealed to the Supreme Court as well. So the Supreme Arizona Supreme Court is going to be the the final arbiters of this election. And you know, luckily it's going to be seven justices. So, you know, th- there is more it adds credibility and authority when it comes from that institution. Well, Abe, I wanted to actually color in the lines a little bit about what you're talking about with provisional ballots. So, I'm actually here in Maricopa County. And what provisional balance meant was that, um, as an example, Jen, who's sitting right next to me, went in to vote over here in North Phoenix and she put the, the she put the vote through the tabulator, couldn't read it. They flipped it over, put it through, couldn't read it, flipped it back over, couldn't read it, flipped it back over, couldn't read it. And then they said, um, oh, by the way, uh, you actually so we're going to actually drop this here in bin three. Those were what provisional balance ballots were. So it wasn't just that it was provisional ballots on a standard definition. These were ballots that all of a sudden could not work in any uh, tabulated machine, whether it's the margins on the 2019 uh, 20 inch to 19 inch uh, conversation, whether it was actually being read at all, whether the, but this was election day. And so these provisional ballots specifically within Maricopa County, to Abe's point, uh, these were actually counted within this bin three. And that is actually the question, because there was more people that I observed myself. I voted on Election Day. Jen right here voted on Election Day. We voted on Election Day and we saw a lot of people saying having to go back in line. It took 30 minutes, run it through, had to do all of these things. And then all of a sudden uh, they had to be put in bin three. So these were the provisional ballots. And sorry, I just uh, switched. Yeah, j- sorry, just to. Well, that, that's factually incorrect. Those are those are not provisional ballots. Trash. I mean, I know the, the, the voting day experience that everybody witnessed is unacceptable. Um, but the box that's- three ballot, a provisional ballot in terms of what the law is in Arizona, it's it's when there's an issue with either your oh. registration or there's some eligibility issue. So you put you fill out your ballot, you put it in an envelope and you have to sign it with an affidavit. Um, you put your party registration on it. You put your contact information on it. So these ballots that we're referring to, these 8,500 ballots, are all in sealed envelopes waiting to be counted. So that's what the provisional ballots that we're arguing. Oh, OK, because they told us it was provisional when we were doing that. That's what they told us. Yeah. And the poll workers, they, they make mistakes. You know, these these people are volunteers. A lot of them poll workers make a lot of mistakes. Um, we're, my we're apologies. That through all of this stuff. But I just want to make sure that we get the facts out there. Accurately. Yeah, my apologies. My apologies. Uh, Tom, that, that's what they told me. Tom, thanks for joining us. If you feel free to jump in uh, anytime you want. This is why it's so important for me to be accurate. Uh, this is a good discussion, everyone. I, you know, look, there are substantive concerns about the elections in Arizona. The courts are handling them. Thankfully, some of the courts in Arizona, you know, haven't dismissed the credible allegations out of hand, even though I don't think they gave enough attention to some of the issues Carrie Lake raised. The Arizona Supreme Court at least kept that key the, the key challenge 
related to signature verification alive. Uh, so anyone who says that, um, you know, the governor is the governor or the attorney general is the attorney general, you know, those cases are still up. Those, those, those offices are still up for grabs uh, election-wise. And now she's exercising lawful power currently. Uh, but that, might, that may not they that may not last depending on how this court case and and you know other challenges turn out so um you know the media dismissing all of this out of hand is 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 just silly as this discussion by Carrie and Abe show uh let's go to Tira Tira go ahead for it Tira you got some question no no sorry i i meant to put my hand down sorry no problem go for it, Sarah um, thank you very much. Um, uh, good evening, Abe. Um, so I was surprised to hear you say that you would accept um, the Supreme Court's decision regarding the election. You might not agree with it, but you would accept it. And I believe Miss Lake was asked the same question, um, but she I don't think she ever stated that she would accept a su Supreme Court decision. Um, however, do you believe that when candidates on either side state that elections are fake or fraudulent, um, that they are run fraudulently, that it ultimately hurts all election integrity? And my second question is, I see many people on Twitter commenting that the only way to combat election fraud is to not vote. So what would you say to those people as well? Thank you. Thanks for the question. So. You know, this is what I find so troubling is that it's people looking at blaming candidates when, you know, if you look at who's to blame, it's election officials who are arrogant, who can't admit that there are significant issues with our with our election system and that we should always try to perfect it. Um, so, you know, the idea that our elections are going to be perfect is, you know, a little unrealistic, but it's the idea to suggest that our elections are perfect, like the media wants to suggest, and that it's there's no error or fraud in it is, is silly. So, you know, I think it's important to continuously highlight that election integrity matters and that so often what Democrats, it seems like do, but what they're doing by not wanting voter ID laws, for instance, or trying to make it, you know, mass mail in votes, uh, it, it presents a problem. So when you go back to the 2020 election, what really erodes confidence in the election system is when the laws are not applied. I mean, when you had here in Arizona in 2020, you had an Obama-appointed federal judge extend voting registration by two weeks. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He did that knowing that it would take time to work its way up to the Ninth Circuit. And by the time that happened, it was 10 days had passed, and they, they reversed his decision. But in that time period, you had 35,000 new voters added to the voter rolls. You know, that that to me erodes confidence in the elections because they they weaponize the law in order to try to rig an election. And same when you had in Pennsylvania where you had mail in votes uh, that came in after Election Day that the judge decided to count those ballots. So that to me is, you know, acting like there's no issues with an election that 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 I think undermines confidence in our elections. I think the important thing to restore confidence in our elections to acknowledge its failures and discrepancies and for the government to be honest, transparent, and accountable to the people they're supposed to represent. You know, the question for Chris Mays, Sarah, really should bring into her is why does she not want to count 8,000 provisionals and ask her, is she going to accept the results when those are counted? I would hope that she would. Um, 
But my follow-up question, I see so many people say, saying that the only way to combat election fraud is to not vote, is to just stay home. What do you say to those people? Well, you know, I've served in uniform. I've served as a prosecutor. I believe that our, it's our right to vote here as Americans. And I would, I would say that what Scott Pressler is talking about, where, you know, utilize the laws within every state. And, you know, I understand their frustration. And this is exactly why I continue my, my battle in court. Believe me, I want this race over with more than anybody else. Trust me. But I'm fighting it because I understand how important it is for those people who do feel as if their votes don't matter that hopefully there is going to be some justice at the end of this, at the end of our, of our legal case where, you know, there will be the elect, the ballots will be counted and at least they'll say, yeah, there are problems with our elections, but our justice system is still intact. And that's where we can actually seek justice. So, you know, th that's where I, I really hone in on the idea that by not voting is somehow, you know, helping democracy, that that's just, I, I don't accept that premise. I can't, I refuse to, but I also don't, I want to make sure election officials understand how critical their role is to instill confidence you know well, here in maricopa county it's been rumored that maricopa county has a disinformation whiteboard of 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 twitter profiles that they track and monitor daily i mean if you think about it why is the government at war with its own citizens i mean they should be the ones who are trying to make sure we have a well-run elections uh, a day operations as well as mail-in uh, voting. So, you know, th that's why I'm fighting this, because I don't care in Arizona, it, it under current law, you have to you can either vote by mail 27 days prior to election. You can vote by uh, early in person or you can vote day of in person. And I want all three of those uh, those ways to vote to be run competently. And that's all I'm asking for. And by the way, the question for the Democrats really, you know, they're they're actually messing with the, the democratic process here. They're canceling debates. They're campaigning from basements and they can't they canceled the Iowa caucuses for the Democrats. They and, and by the way, it's significant because that process, as you know, is totally different from, a, you know, machine, big, big, you know, Maricopa type elections. They sit down in Iowa caucus, small groups. They talk about the candidates and they they vote in person. And the Democrats want to shut that down. They canceled the Iowa caucuses. Ask them, ask them yeah, why. But the same token, aren't, aren't the Republicans, isn't Donald Trump basically saying that there's no need for him to debate? He should just be handed the nomination? No, he, he, he didn't say that. He, he'll, he'll debate anybody. He, he went through six, six, 16, 17 last time. Bring, bring no, him actually, he said he might not debate. He did a, he did a true social policy. He said it was, be, it was because the... the, the the people who were who were selected to conduct the debates in 2016 and 2020 um, were corrupt. That they it, it was admitted that uh, I forget her name. She used to be the Democratic uh, DNC party chief, a black woman who who admitted Donna that Brazil. she had given the questions to yeah. Hillary. Donna Brazil, thank you. That she had given the questions to, to Hillary before the debate. So any, anyone who debates, even people in here, want a fair shot. And I think that's what Donald Trump. Maybe not what he said exactly, but that's what he and meant. The, but and we'll the GOP, see what he does. GOP wanted a fair venue. They they uh, uh, pulled out of the old types of debates where they had rigged questioners and and like like you know the Donna Brazil getting the questions fed ahead of, ahead of time. They do want debates, but they want it in a fair medium. So I I gotta head out, but I just want to um, talk on this before I head out. You know, I think look at what the media has done. They they just you know threw a squirrel out for all of us, and we're just talking about Donald Trump and the debate, but. The, the current Republican National Committee has a debate schedule. 
there are debates scheduled. The Democrats do not. So that is an attack on democracy. Thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate it. And uh, keep holding the line and keep the faith. Thanks. Hey, hey, Thank you so much for coming in. Much appreciated. Can, can you and Carrie Lake please post your filings, your court filings somewhere on Twitter so attorneys like us can argue about the, the actual effect? It's difficult to uh, track the progress of both your, your cases through the courts. Thanks. Absolutely. And for anybody listening, you can go to count the votesaz.com count the votesaz.com and we have our legal filings and articles about it so you can learn about our case thanks so much everyone appreciate your time Abe. much uh, much appreciate and thanks for answering all the difficult questions so um let's go to um yeah so doc you've got a website there you can get the filings yeah, I've got it. I wrote it down. Thanks for that. Um, just to ask a that question. Quick, who, who said that they don't want to have Iowa? I, I who did. Was that who said that? Okay, so Robert, they're not canceling Iowa. They're basically not making it. Exactly. Fast, That's right? it, it, I knew you'd say that. They but, just they want to. They are allowed. They want to push it to the back of the line, which is that. essentially canceling it. Right. Right. No, because no, no. They're, they're allowed to, to change which states vote first. Right, that is, right. that is a, I mean, what are you talking about? By the way, I should point yeah, out. Yeah, that it's Mike, based on the fact there are too many white people in look, Iowa and New I, Hampshire. I and they want to give blacks a stronger view. view and, Tom, in my view, caucuses are much less democratic than votes because what you have are people there who can afford to stay all day. They don't have home responsibilities. They might not be disabled, etc. There are lots of information or they might not have you know, two jobs, etc. So they can afford to stay all day and sit there and basically and wait 10 hours, etc. So in point of fact, my argument on caucuses has always been that I, I'm not convinced that they are the most democratic way to proceed. It's fine if people want to do it, but I actually think it's a good thing if we don't have a caucus first. Thank They're you. not 10 hours. Yeah, they well, you know, just... that's a fair point. I mean, parties, parties can designate processes typically, I guess, as long as it's not contrary to state law to how to pick a candidate. So parties are trying to figure out the best way to pick a candidates. And uh, conventions and caucuses are a way for parties uh, to allow the activists and the parties to have a better control as to the candidate. And the thinking is better that better candidates who are organized uh, will do better in caucuses and, and, and conventions and such. And uh, democracy isn't, isn't, the, uh, isn't the guidepost uh, for deciding uh, on primaries, it's it's how what process do we use to ensure the party candidate that rises from the process is best able to win in the general election? And isn't it interesting the Iowa caucuses in the twenty twenty elections with the Democrats' uh, Wonder Digital app? Uh, they couldn't manage to count the votes properly, and I think they called it for Pete Buttigieg. And then, so you've got your Reed Hoffmans and the billionaire donor class behind there tinkering with one of the greatest traditions in American uh, democracy, which is the Iowa caucuses. Well, and and the reason they're doing it, and it, and it's been they've been quite blunt about it. If you look at the reporting and the statements on it when they were making the moves, was there too many white people in caucuses and too many white people in New Hampshire? And they didn't want too many white people uh, having influence in those key contests. So it's based on demographics, too, not enough black people, too many white people. So those states are being punished because they've got too many white people voting in those caucuses and primary. And they accelerated South Carolina and Nevada to, to jump ahead of them by the Democrats. And, and by the way, so, right. our, you know, election integrity affects everybody. It's all, all parties. 
you know, Bernie bros would agree. Even RFK Jr. fans are going to agree that they want fair election, even in the even in the primary process. So, Tom, a question on that. Um, so you're talking about the Democratic primary. Um, so why is it beneficial to have not have white people vote first? And how does that benefit? I'm assuming you mean it benefits um, Biden more than it does RFK, as an example. Oh, I mean, you know, look, I'm just describing what the basis for their change is. Um, what's the logical reasoning for it? So, like, what's, what's the end product? Of doing that? Oh, well, I mean, Biden didn't do, I, you know, my, I, I, I don't have the Democratic primary results from 2020 in front of me, but my perception is Biden didn't do as well as he wanted in Iowa, New Hampshire, too. In South Carolina was his beachhead because of James Clyburn, who's a powerful Democratic leader, Black American, a congressman down there. Uh, so South Carolina, you know, was Biden country, and uh, that's another reason for it as well for for moving South Carolina up. And front. then New Hampshire would be a stronghold for our, our uh, RFK Jr. So they're trying to de de, de amplify that. Well, now now that's going to be the case, no matter what happens. So. You know, what happens is, you know, New Hampshire, by law, has to be first in the nation. So New Hampshire is going to be first. And the question is whether their uh, delegates that they pick will be punished in the sense or excluded from the convention. And um, so some folks like uh, Williamson and, and, and RFK Jr. aren't going to skip New Hampshire uh, because the Democratic Party is punishing the state uh, by excluding its its its. Um, it's delegates. In fact, it's an incentive to go in there and make make the case that they're they're rigging they're rigging the system. Well, uh, it's going to be, it's gonna be quite a you know the you know everyone talks about the Republican primary. Democratic party primary is turning out to be a little bit more interesting than people assumed at least a month or two ago. So Tom, I mean, I Tom, think so. In what you're saying, though, um, it sounds more like a less of a race issue. Although I could see how the demographic of race is in those uh, states but essentially it's more about making biden the the winner and so hence why they're making these maneuvers well i'm just i'm just describing their stated reasons there are obviously other political reasons but when you have politicians pr say race is the reason we should pay attention to that because to me it's an abomination to come out and say you're changing an election primary system because of the racial makeup of the states involved. It's just incredible to me. And, well, um, another thing, Tom. Another question, um, Tom. When you look at the democratic system anyway, does it does it even matter about the order? Because their entire system, when it comes to their nomination, is so much relying on, for example, the super PAC system and having extra votes that are not based on state results. You, They essentially decide who's going to be the candidate anyway. Yeah, I don't know if that's been fixed um I, you know that used to be true in the past i, I don't Tom know if that's that. been changed at all whether they've mitigated that or not but um uh certainly the primary the campaigns still matter um and the super delegates can mitigate uh a renegade candidate doing well but not eliminate him uh, certainly if he gets overwhelming majorities uh, so tatira you said they've eliminated that well, I don't know that they've eliminated, but they changed it significantly so that they don't have as much impact. I'll have to go and look at the rules, but that has changed from whenever it was. Uh, was it 2016 when it was perceived to be a, a major issue? And 2020. So if you're saying it's been changed, you're saying after 2020 because it was a major issue in 2020 as well. 
don't think it was much of a. I'm not convinced I mean, it was I a mean, major issue in 2020. No, no, truthfully, I remember it. I mean, no, I it wasn't because Biden. After Super Tuesday, Biden was in the driver's seat. That was not because of super delegates. It was because, and Tom's correct about this, because Jim Clyburn gave him uh, gave a significant endorsement in that impacted both South Carolina and many of these states, which ha- are heavily black. So you're right voters. in terms of Super Tuesday, basically essentially putting Biden in the uh, the forefront. But before Super Tuesday, there were severe issues and and when it came to the super delegates, they were going to be on Biden's side. So even then, he had almost a strong position to win anyway. Um, So so it didn't have a result anyway because obviously they basically manipulated it. I I don't know. You may be right. I'm not quite sure. I think I think she's right that it was mitigated a bit. It was a big deal in 2016. And, and, you know, if there's anyone who can be complaining about the way primaries are run and the unfairness of them and the rigging of them, uh, it's it's Bernie Sanders. And the fact that he didn't, uh, to me, um, is a real indictment of his uh, of his whole agenda in politics. I agree. I agree. He, he They basically... Screwed him over in 2016 right, so and 2020. And then essentially, yeah, what out. they did, Suleiman, was they basically said that superdelegates could not vote on the first um, on the first ballot, etc. So they make they did make significant changes in 2020. Why have superdelegates at all? Tira? You're asking me? I have no clue. I mean, I don't. I think all of these things are so. It's, a, it's and, the elitist privilege doc, that's doc, embedded no, 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 into the, the their own party basis. process. Oh my god, he's right. He's doc, right. Doc, elitist, you're, I know you're. I know you're a Democrat. And you want. You have to back your people <laughs> up. On. But he's right. Doc's right. I'm saying that a lot of these processes are sort of arcane. There were some rules put into place that helped Trump on these the Republican side. These are recent changes to the rules. Hillary it, yeah. made them before the election. It's not 2016 arcane. 2016. You're talking about right. Yeah, you remember Not 2020, 2020, the rules were changed again to try and reduce the impact of superdelegates. And I do not think they had any impact on the Biden win, to be honest, because there was no one really running against him at that point. He had been he had been anointed by whoever he had, had Kamala him Harris. Power. He had Pete Buttigieg. He had a number of people. And in fact, some of those people had won in some of the early states. Well, certainly Buttigieg had Kamala Harris didn't even show up. You're talking about Bernie Sanders. I think that's probably what you meant, right? Yeah, that's what you meant. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, sorry, sorry. One of the things that's happening in New Hampshire is the push for libertarians. And so there's actually a bigger demographic that's going on in New Hampshire. And I think that that's actually changed uh, quite a bit of what's going on in New Hampshire. They, uh, they mentioned, like just like Tom was talking about, what was going on in Iowa. But uh, specifically, there, there are demographic changes in these some of these key uh, caucus states. And, and, and I think that that's why they're tra- changing the order. I mean, I understand that Tom made the argument and I agree because they came out and said it. Um, but there, there is also other strategy behind this. And, and, and I think that they're actually concerned that the pool is going to get kind of um, diluted, I guess, for support behind other people. I could be wrong, Tom, but I, I, that's what I see happening. Well, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, there's there's all sorts of legitimate reasons for switching around. You know, to me, it's a party decision. You know, but when you come out and say it's because of race, I think that, you know, I don't think it's appropriate and it's wrong. And it and it suggests that some states are more equal than others simply because of their racial makeup. And somehow one state is more credible in the process to pick a president because 
they have more minorities than another state. It's just that, you know, that's, that's un-American. You know, and you can say the state tends to be more, you know, we don't like the, pro we don't like caucuses. We don't like New Hampshire. Uh, it's too conservative. I mean, there are other ways to talk about these issues without flagrantly and brazenly embracing this racial division. So, so for me, logically, it doesn't make sense. Like, and that's why I asked, asked those questions to you. For me, it makes more sense that they're doing it to make Biden the winner. And hence, when they're making these statements, I believe it's to cause division rather than anything else. Um, I think that well, well, I mean, Biden sees see he has a lot of support in the black community. He sees that as a you know as, as you know the yeah, 2020 said, election showed that as a, so. I mean, so there's nothing inconsistent with raising the race issue. And also seeing it as a way to help Biden politically. I mean, that's there, there, there's you know that there are there's nothing at odds in raising both issues at the same time. Yeah, but is it necessarily it, unfair to other candidates? Tom, he did say it. he said you ain't black if you don't vote for a Democrat. So essentially, he believes what you're saying. Go ahead, Doc. I, I was just going to ask Tom to try and be a devil's advocate for the liberal side. Is it? Is it somehow disadvantageous to other candidates running against uh, Biden that he the start is going to be in North Carolina versus Iowa? I mean, is it really going to hamstring Bobby Kennedy, do you think? It's going to minimize any success he has there because of the punishment. You know, the he whatever he does in New Hampshire ain't going to count in the delegate count. My understanding is, right? Uh, please my correct me if I'm wrong, because this is all in flux, right? Yeah, because it's in I, flux. Yeah, my so, understanding uh, is that right now what's happened is the Democratic Party has said that nobody who, who either wins the nomination or is, is allowed to compete for the nomination can right. go against their schedule. So if, for example, Bobby Kennedy and Marion Williamson do that particular the New Hampshire primary, their votes will either not count or they will, I, I don't really know. I don't think they've made it clear, but they're right. going to try and do something to, to say you can't New Hampshire, you cannot violate the party rules on this. I think, uh, you know, my guess is, and you know, those who are Democrats on the panel, I'd be interested in your view is I I'm surprised and I don't, it's not crocodile tears or whatever the proper metaphor would be about the seeming strength of RFK jr. In the primary polls right now, um, you know, 19%, you know, hovering around that number, um, you know, A, am I one, does he have a path forward or probably more importantly, are others going to look at that number and say, I want in too? I mean, if you want my answer, I... You the, are think, you the only Democrat on this uh, panel well, right now? Possibly so, so I'm willing to take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, right. we've got four. We've my got four. Is but the rest is okay. There are people who, and, and I am one of them, it would be nice if we had a, better, a different and less old candidate than Joe Biden. I do not think he has dementia. I do not think he's pooping in his pants, etc. But I do wish we had a more a younger, fresher voice, let's just say. And I think so there's people, I believe, who are just sort of expressing a concern about that. I also think the Kennedy name for a lot of Democrats is as simple as a name. You know, right. oh, it's a Kennedy, right? And I don't think they've really looked at uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s positions necessarily. I suspect as time goes on, I think that number is going to drop myself. 
because there will be other candidates. And I don't think I think there are a lot of Democrats who won't go for him for a variety of reasons. Thanks. Suleiman, who are the other Democrats? I'm curious. Right here. I mean, right here, bro. Oh, really? Sarah. Yeah, oh, yeah, we got wow. Sarah, we got Benjamin, we got Tira, we got Fidgeto. I'm not a Democrat. I mean, what are you talking you about? You kind of more towards the left, aren't you? Not Some at all. Some of you are Democrats, even if you, know, even if you don't know it, you're Democrats. <laughs> Can I give you the dates? Well, Benjamin, no. ben, the, the, uh, Benjamin you, ain't, you ain't black if you don't want for them, so... We're eight. Ahead, no, 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 no. I'm a, I'm a far-right Republican. I'm just a, uh, a pragmatic one. So we're, we're eight oh. months away from the, the, the primaries. And um, right now, this is the proposal that the DNC approved uh, two months ago. It might still be in flux, but it, right now it's at South Carolina on Feb 3 and Nevada and New Hampshire on the same day, Feb 6, Georgia, Feb 13, and then Michigan, Feb 27. There's a, a ton of them in March. So that's what's proposed right now. And that in the Democrats, yeah. and New Hampshire's not going to allow that. Right. I mean, they, I don't think they, uh, absent a change in New Hampshire law, they have to move the date prior to that South Carolina date. Now, is there a way of skinning the cat and having another active, another primary on election on that February 6th day? I don't know. It's also a proposal by New York to go to Feb 6. <laughs> so it's, it's, there's a little bit of craziness right now. Georgia might move up that Feb 13, but they want, they may want to move up sooner on the, on the R side too. No, I think it's a. I think it's fair to assume that that Biden's going to be the nominee. Um, I think him announcing early suggests weakness. I think these polls suggest weakness, but you know that that may um, dissipate as time moves and folks start picking sides. I mean, it's one thing to say you want. Oh, you know, you'd be open to all sorts of people winning. Um at the beginning of the playoffs, right? There are all sorts of teams. You don't necessarily got a team, but you're interested. And then all of a sudden, you know, a team starts winning and it's like, yeah, I want, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm on that team. And, you know, in political contests that I think is going to be the case here, folks will coalesce around Biden versus Trump. And it's going to be a jump ball again, 2024. That's, that's my uh, thing. Tom, can you talk about uh, some of the recent wins for, for all parties that you've been doing on voter roll cleanup? Oh, so, you know, California, I mean, that, the National Voter Registration Act is a federal law, the Motor Voter Bill, famously known or infamously known back, I think it was during the Clinton administration, they passed it over Republican objections. And to try to sweeten the pot for Republicans, they promised to clean up the rolls while they were requiring public um, entities, welfare officers, uh, you know, DMVs, motor voter, to offer registration opportunities to folks and the concern was well that would just lead to dirtier rolls multiple registrations etc so the idea was we're going to clean up the rolls we'll require states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls they don't have to be perfect but they got to have a program in place and of course the left never wanted to enforce that part of the law and they focused on the registration requirements and judicial watch was the first entity in the history of the law to come in and enforce it privately uh, we sued in Indiana and Ohio. We ended those lawsuits after we got what we wanted. Big lawsuit in California that resulted in a settlement involving L.A. County. They just confirmed to us, you know, a, a million five, I think, or so names were removed. Uh, New York, we sued. New York City hadn't cleaned their rolls in six years. Uh, after we sued, they removed um, a bunch of names, you know, hundreds of thousands. I forget the exact number. Same in North Carolina. 
Uh, Colorado move, removed 180,000 names or so, or 130,000, I forget. But I do know over the last year, as a result of our litigation, you know, the settlements resulting from the litigation and at least the consent decree in Kentucky, um, uh, two million names have been cleaned from the rolls. And, um, you know, that's substantial. And, and the reason the rules there and the Supreme Court um, has essentially validated our approach here in terms of what you need to do in order to be seen as taking reasonable steps to clean up the rules is that, you know, dirty election rolls can mean dirty elections. It's opportunities for fraud. And you minimize that by making sure the rolls are clean. And so that way people aren't voting and doing impersonation fraud and whatever. And uh, so uh, that's a big deal. And um, I expect uh, Pennsylvania will um, will have similar results in Pennsylvania. The litigation's ongoing. And the other big piece of litigation we have going on is in Illinois, where we're challenging on behalf of a member, a congressional candidate, a member of Congress and Congressman Boston, some voters there, Illinois' law that has um, allows ballots to be counted that arrive for up to two weeks after Election Day, including ballots that are not postmarked. And, you know, we think that's contrary to federal law, which is rather plain on the issue. And uh, so that litigation is ongoing and the Democrats are desperate to get involved as a party there. And they lost at the lower court and they weren't even satisfied with being able to file amicus briefs. They filed an appellate, uh, an appeal of this at federal at the federal appellate level, because they were denied entry as a party as a defendant. So um, Mark Elias's firm argued that. So this is a big case out in Illinois because you know that's a that's a major controversy nat- nationally about counting ballots that arrive after election day. It goes on in too many places. Frankly, even counting ballots that change the results from election day. In my view, is contrary to federal law, but that's another matter. Thanks for that, Tom. Just a quick one. Sorry, there's some breaking news. Uh, Mario, what's the breaking news? Yeah, unrelated, man. So uh, I'm just going to read out exactly. I just tweeted it out. Let me pin it above. Um, usually, we don't mention whenever there's missiles heading to Ukraine. We don't mention it as breaking news, but this seems to be a very major one. Every OSINT account is uh, talking about it. Um, so I'll read out the information we have so far. A massive barrage of cruise and hypersonic missiles, one of the largest since the war broke out, is incoming from Russia towards Ukraine. The missiles are expected to reach their targets imminently. Air sirens should start any minute. That was tweeted uh, six minutes ago, so they just started about two minutes ago. Launch commands are still being put out over the Russian strategic net, so we're still seeing more launches potentially incoming. The head of Ukraine's presidential office says do not ignore the air uh, air raid alerts. Next update. Uh, four minutes after that, four minutes ago, sorry, air raid alerts are beginning across Ukraine. Anyone in the locations below should go to shelter immediately. If you check the pinned tweet above and the latest tweet on my account, it would have the location details. Uh, it's all in the east and Kharkov, uh, sorry, yeah, Kiev is included. Um, actually, Kiev is not included in that map, but we are seeing air sirens, I think, in Kiev as well. So I'll read out. Uh, where the air sirens are. Air, air sirens started in Kharkov, likely due to the talks about the missile style, uh, missile types launched by Rus- Russian strategic bombers near the Caspian Sea. Uh, Caspian sea. Air raid sirens also sounding in Mykolaiv in Odessa are blasts due to likely calibre, calibre uh, cruise missiles launches from Russian Black Sea fleet vessels. Uh, just want to give a shout out to OSINT Defender and Faytux and Elint News. So these accounts are updating. Anyone in Ukraine, if we do have anyone in the audience from Ukraine, you probably hear the sirens, but 
you know you should probably take this seriously um and again we're mentioning those because they are one of the largest missile launches since the war broke out um also um breaking news is that tom fitton is on stage been a while tom good to have you back oh, good to be with you i didn't i didn't see any speakers in here that would uh, <laughs> <keep> me... <laughs> it's all good man it's all good it's pleasure to have aneurysm you. so <laughs> No, today's panel seems pretty Challenge calm. Challenge accepted, sir. May I, uh, <laughs> may I, may I ask uh, Tom? Well, don't worry. I, mean, I, I, I can give myself an aneurysm after talking for five minutes, but that's fine. That's a different matter. <laughs> Go ahead, Ben. Just a, it's an unrelated topic, but uh, you are the person to ask. So I um, recently have gone into some spaces which are hosted by relatives of people, uh, you know, who are in litigation regarding January the sixth. Now, a couple of them made very extraordinary claims, and you you would be the person to either confirm or deny them. So the claim is that there are several uh, people being held in relation to January 6th without charge. Can you speak to that? I mean, just for me, that seems like a bridge too far for me to cross. Are you aware of any situation like that, or is that just a conspiracy theory which you can debunk? Thank you. Thank you, Tom, And, by uh, the way. and Tom, as you answer this one, we are going to be wrapping up the space after this one. Um, so, Tom, the mic is yours. Well, I don't know that. I can't you know, there may be a technical reason for that where they were arrested initially on charges and there's been a superseding indictment that's been provided or will be provided. I don't know. I don't know why that would be the case. And, you know, um, Mario, I don't know if you've touched on this other big issue. I don't know if you all saw the big Wall Street Journal story today exposing um, visitors allegedly to... I tweeted about it, yeah. To, to Epstein including the current CIA director, had three meetings with him. A major banker from the Walshchild Bank uh, had a dozen-plus meetings, I guess. It looks like a significant relationship with him. And the bank had been questioned about it, and they had previously, according to the story, lied. And um, also, Obama's top White House lawyer, after she left, you know, also had a strong relationship with him, a do dozens of, uh, you know, at least a dozen meetings or so, at least according to his calendars. So now we have the CIA director, who's going to be on, ought to be under the gun, Obama's top lawyer, former top lawyer. I think she's at Goldman Sachs now, who's going to be ought to be under the gun. And the significant banking concern, the Rothschild Bank in Europe. I think it's in, um, is it in Sweden or I forget which which um, or Switzerland. It doesn't matter. But the point is, you know, they were they've been caught lying, um, and helps explain why Epstein's circle of friends hasn't been investigated the way some wanted it to happen, wanted it to have been investigated because, you know, these are some of the folks who've been caught up in his orbit, you know, and some of these meetings, you know, are, are kind of sus. So based on the descriptions in the Wall Street Journal, pretty incredible stuff. I have a few tweets on it too. Hey, before yeah, we move on, I would love to just add something quickly that I think is of such importance to the topic. And thanks for the great space. But it's with regard to the HAVA Act. I just recently had, you know, the RNC, Tyler Boyer from the RNC, give an update live from the RNC meeting. And he felt that the Help America Vote Act was being almost completely disregarded. Um, and that was, you know, that act is from 2002 after Bush versus Gore, that was put in. But there are some really baseline requirements, minimum requirements. Now states get money um, to comply with HAVA. 
And so one of the minimum requirements is that a person that votes by mail must submit with the ballot a copy of a current invalid photo ID, or if they don't have that, a bank statement or a utility bill. And so I've, you know, this is something that we really need to think about, especially if we aren't going to anytime soon get back to, you know, in-person precinct, same-day voting, paper ballots. It's something that we really need to talk about. In some states, it even makes um, machine tabulation illegal if you don't follow HAVA minimum requirements. And I just wondered, Tom, if you or and Robert, if you guys have anything to say about HAVA. I mean, that's news to me that HAVA requires... I mean, there may be some requirements related to the first-time registration that require voter ID. It's I don't think that's necessarily AR, true for like voting in, by mail. In Arizona, it's ARS six, section. It's ARS sixteen four four two B section three o three two. Okay, but that's a state law you're referencing. Yeah, but I think Arkansas has a similar. There's several states. Okay, but those are state laws. Uh, you're you're suggesting federal law requires that voter ID be accompany ballots, and that's not that's not true. I mean, the HAVA Act is saying... Yeah, HAVA, HAVA, yeah. Is, HAVA is a federal law, and um, I don't believe, I don't understand it to require that, but I'm always happy to be educated on it. Right, guys, thank you so much for uh, the space. It was brilliant having Carrie Lake on. We asked a, a number of questions. Some of them were tough, and they were balanced. We asked a number of questions. Thanks for having Carrie Lake. We asked a number of questions. No shit, bro. No, <laughs> Where we, we do interviews here? Of, uh, no, <laughs> what a good, what a good. No, we asked. A we asked some good questions. questions because you know what it is when you interview, you don't want to do some crap like the BBC guy or Pace Morgan did. But at the same time, you don't want to. Soft, Man, soft you were, you were, did you did you were? It's I. Uh, I'm gonna give you so much shit after the space. You were so sh you man. What? You did shitter than other. And usually you're good, by the way. And and this one, I mean it. This one was well below par based on what you usually achieve. And you definitely guys did below great. par when you compare to your competitors. No man, <laughs> it was it was average, average. I'd say this average. Usually we do You're much better. You're fine, Slay man. Be nice, Mario. No, no, you know what? It is? No, he's no, usually no, Mario... he's usually. Yeah. Hold on, let me give you a compliment first. Let me give you a compliment. And I'll be honest here. No, Doc, he's a. There's a reason he's always co-hosting with me. So he's usually really good, but like he always, guys, you don't understand. Behind the scenes, he shits. He believes he is God in his skills. I swear he's got such a high ego. It's it pisses me off. It's like man, it's time to get to my nerves. If you guys hear our private calls, his ego, he needs to get it checked. You need therapy, man. Your ego's insane. So I really wanted to bring you back because you shout on everyone else that interviewed her before us. I just want to say I don't think we, we outdid them. No no we usually did, we, we did. do but so, not this time. so let me explain why. So like for example okay, Pierce Morgan do. and um who was the other one? Uh, the BBC guy who did it to Elon Musk, they were horrendous. What we did was obviously you can you have you can either go attack mode or you can give softballs. But I, when I was questioning, I was rotating, so I was giving her a hard question. Like I, I gave her the question where I said, you know, you made the claims about the election before, so did you already have a preconceived idea about um, claiming that there was going to be election fraud? That's a hard question. But then at the same time, then I gave her questions because from the conservative perspective because it's it's about doing it both sides and giving a balance as opposed to being on like you know basically trying to you know trying to get like your your little headline yeah so just uh in terms of the just to go back to things that matter the missiles heading to ukraine um OSINT defenders tweeting updates about them as well as a few other accounts we're kind of getting the important ones and adding them to our thread um but it does seem pretty a pretty large barrage 
So we won't do a space on it tonight unless things get really bad or there's significant damage or it, it's, it continues. Otherwise, we'll probably cover it tomorrow. We'll do a Ukraine space tomorrow. It's been a while. Um, and we'll talk about the updates there. But for today, I just want to give a massive shout out to, I think it was, who was the, the, the lady? I think it was Jenny uh, that was helping Nick. But a massive shout out for Nick for organizing this last minute. And for, I think it was Jenny. Was it Jenny uh, Slayman? Julia. Stage? Julia. Julia, sorry. Thanks, Trash. So Julia as well, who was on stage earlier for organizing this. Uh, appreciate all the panelists. Uh, I leave New York tomorrow. So everyone I met in New York, pleasure to meet you all. Tom, are you in New York? No, you're in Washington, aren't you? No, I'm in D.C. Mario, you, you, if I, you have if your I go, space tomorrow morning. Yeah, I don't don't call it my my finance. I don't I don't deserve the credit. But yeah, the space that is run from my account that Danish uh, moderates. That yeah, that one is is tomorrow morning, uh, while I sleep. Um, yeah, and I saw by the way, uh, Robert. I saw Robert Wolf today. Such a nice guy. Uh, knows his shit when it comes to finance. So I caught up with him earlier today. Mario, what, may I say one thing as a uh, as a closing note uh, for what Tom said about the uh, Epstein CIA story. Tom, if you're interested in more detail on that, there's a fantastic book I'm about halfway through right now by Whitney Webb called One Nation Under Blackmail. Just came out on Audible uh, version there, which has these sort of sprawling connections between Epstein and the intelligence community laid out in quite meticulous uh, uh, and, and fastidiously bibliographed form. So uh, for more on that story, I would highly recommend that book by Whitney Webb. Thanks, Mike. All right, everyone, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll see you again tomorrow. We haven't decided the topic yet. And thanks for the moderators for, for, for the great space and Nick for organizing the uh, interview with Kerry. Bye, everyone. Bye, Mario.